As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Too Much Movie, a podcast that gets lost in those movies that are too much in the best possible way. And this movie may be the most too much movie that has ever existed. I am one of your hosts, a hobo with a fresh haircut, Blake Howard. Triangulating fire with me today are a man who played one of David Ferry's eyebrows, Robert Belushi. So hello, Rob. A man of great panache, a wife of impeccable taste. And a man who we're so grateful is going to go on the record about his daddy-o, Christopher Candy. Man, I've been sleeping for three years. <laughs> Our, <laughs> I, I wish. That's so aspirational. Our film for this episode is JFK, a movie that boldly asks and dwells in the contradictions of why. Oswald, Ruby, Cuba, the Mafia keeps them guessing like some kind of parlor game, prevents them from asking the most important question. Why was Kedney assassinated? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Qui bono? Who benefits? Too much movie will ask who. If I answer that question you keep asking, if I give you the name of the big enchilada, you know, then it's Bon Voyage Dino. I mean like poignant, I mean like a bullet in my head, you dig? Does that help you see my problem a little better? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of light in the bushes, and then shots rang out. No cloak and dagger stuff, you know. They call it Operation Mongoose. It's gonna be okay, Dave. You just talk to us on the record and we'll protect you. Now, I guarantee it. You're so naive. You found us in your office. We think the conference room is also above maybe the phones. I'm not cooperating here. I'm not cooperating here. Listen, there's a death warrant for me. Are the same people gonna kill us, Pop? Nobody's gonna kill us. Y'all gotta get into your minds how the hell the spooks think. Now, they're not ordinary crooks. Think the unthinkable. Question everything. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. You don't believe me? All this time, you never believed me. I just want to raise our children and live a normal life. I want my life back. Dude, hey, look, this thing bigger than all of us. Now, how many cultures is it gonna take for you lawyers to figure out what you want? People got to know. People got to know why he was killed. 
You know what you've done to me? I'm a dead man! Well, if they can kill the president, they can certainly get me. You're a mouse fighting a gorilla. You're close. You're closer than you think. There's going to be an attempt to kill you somewhere between here and New Orleans. I say let justice be done over heaven's fall. Gentlemen, we've been dancing around this freaking behemoth for months, and I'm so happy that we're finally here. Oliver Stone's Academy Award-winning masterpiece, JFK, is where we find ourselves. Chris, talk to me about this movie. Well, it is the fastest three-hour and nine movie you've ever seen in your entire life, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I think that this movie makes any viewer feel like a conspiracy theorist by the very end of it. It yeah. captivates, I think, the energy. I think you could probably like take the mind of like uh, the craziest right-wing QAnoner and put it next to someone watching JFK, and the same synapses <laughs> would be firing off of inquisitive and questioning and... and it is just such a ride because it's and, and and for that it's so enjoyable. I'm close to this movie um, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, uh, especially with my dad being in the film and what it being one of his uh, more prolific uh, characters that he per portrayed. Um, and I actually was able to be there in New Orleans when they <sighs> filmed it, so I have a little bit of memory from that that time, and um, I have some fun anecdotes that I've I've uh, found along the way that I'm happy to share. But this movie, um, you know, it makes sense that my dad's in this movie because this movie is like top tier talent for 1992. Um, <laughs> yeah. Every every scene is just packed with not just like good character actors. We're talking about. All of these people could open their own movie in this movie. At this, in this time. Movie. Yeah. It's at this, ridiculous. It actually you, is a joke. It's like, who, whoever cast this movie, I mean, this is such as the power of Oliver Stone's influence at this time. It's like, whoever cast this movie deserved an Academy Award for casting. Like, they, like, forget anything else. Just the cast is on, you could, when you just go through the names of the people that are in this movie, it is ridiculous. Yeah. The cast is too much. We haven't even got into the, the text, but the cast is too much. Absolutely insane and unhinged. Costner, I mean, Ed Asner, Jack Lemon, D'Onofrio for like 15 seconds, Gary Oldman, Sissy Spacek, Wayne Knight, Michael Rooker, Laurie Metcalf, uh, like obviously your dad, the great John Candy, Tommy Lee Jones, Joe Pesci, Kevin Bacon, um, Brian Doyle Murray. Brian Doyle. Brian, Brian Doyle Brian Murray. Doyle Murray. Jack Ruby. Ruby. Jack Ruby. He's so great. His voice is the best. Donald Sutherland. I mean, uh, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. This is basic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a film of openers. All of these people could have opened a movie at some point with, with, or with, within the 10 year period, um, they all could have opened a movie. Um, and if they didn't, they would go on to, uh, it's just an amazing cast. And, and yeah, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, revisiting it. Rob, this is a movie that's full more? of Rob, Rob Belushi impressions. It's, I feel like, Oh it's, my God, for this sure. Is, <laughs> this is like all these lines for are in sure. your wheelhouse completely. I love this. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Like, what a what a great, fun movie. You know, when Chris was saying it's it's so 
it's eerie watching it now yeah. considering like where Oliver Stone lives in his mind and in popular culture and see like what is left wing might be right wing today and how mm-hmm. the, the, the polls are so close to one another in that garrison speech at the end. Like you could read that text either way, you know, in today's politics. But um, as far as like the movie makes a great undeniable case, and, you know, <laughs> definitely the birth of conspiracy theories and uh but it's just a joy to consume i mean you know i think that the the real triangulation of fire in this film is john candy joe pesci and tommy lee jones (laughs) these fools are taking they're you know just taking giant bites and and I'm loving. I loved what they did. It was so pleasurable to see these guys in roles that you wouldn't wouldn't normally expect them to be in. And uh, gosh, so fun. Yeah, all of those characters went for it. Um, all those actors un- unbelievably went for it. Um, I obviously can't speak for um, Tommy Lee Jones or Joe Pesci, but I will say Joe Pesci's character just completely blows my mind every time I watch it. I mean, he should have gotten some kind of award for this role because it's just it 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 it, this film does what everyone always says you know comedians play great dramatic characters and and you know you know pesci wasn't necessarily a comedian in the beginning but he has that through line of being able to do comedy and it's more speaking to the energy they fuck you in the drive-thru they fuck you they fuck you with the (laughs) drive-thru like that's i think some people just think that pesci is that and yeah. you go back and you oh, watch, yeah, guess. <laughs> you watch, and you're like, yes, he like it's a it's a funny performance and it's in a massive movie that's okay, super okay, great. Okay, 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 okay. Like you you think that he's that, but then you go back and you, you he's like yeah. just list the three performances like Goodfellas, just Goodfellas, JFK, and then like something even crazier like uh, the Good Shepherd, like one of his recent roles before he came back yeah. for the Irishman. And then later, the Irishman, and you're like, "Oh no, he's absolutely amazing. He's such I, a like precision tool. He will do I, whatever is on the assignment. He is a murderer. Like you, you get Casino him. is very funny. Like, oh, that's the thing. Very yeah, funny. Funny. usually funny. He's, he's funny very funny as David Ferry. Oh, he's <laughs> yeah, funny. He's like, animated. He's very funny in JFK. Yeah, yeah. He's an animated character, and I think that that's what my my kind of crossing there was of of being a comedian because he's so animated, he comes across like a cartoon character, but it's the most believable character you've ever seen. You know, I had I one can... single terrible fucking weakness, and they defrocked me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I love this movie because you know, Rob, you, you touched on a great point, which is like. Like we live in the age of conspiracy theories, and in 1991, this movie—the fact that it's a massive Warner Brothers movie, the fact that it was very critically lauded, but also extremely politically contentious when it came out, the cultural impact of the movie that actually enacted new investigations into the Kennedy assassination at a government level. Like this is such a popular and resounding success, and and whipped the public into a frenzy that it actually resulted in political change. Um, however you think about the contradictions that are in the movie or the extrapolations or the dream sequences or the, the inconsistencies, what ends up just standing the test of time is the, the, the way to question something. And I think that that's what is 
what gets me is like the way that the questions are asked. And even if Oliver Stone, even in his, you know, which I thought was quite terrific, the JFK through the looking glass documentary that came out, you know, only last year, um, which was like four more hours of him inquiring and, and following up on conversations and closing out things that he, he had answers to. Uh, I just love the way that he asks questions. I just love the, I love the, the bold, you know, um, uh, kind of like bomb of like some of these questions, like, just like, I'm going to ask you the thing that you can't give me an easy or satisfactory answer to. And you can see the Q and on at the end of the tunnel. If you go completely off the reservation, well, of course yeah. you can see it. Like, you know, you can see it, you see the through line to that sort of stuff, but you can also just see people who go, Oh no, governments are fucked up. It's like, it's the great Michael and yeah. Kay exchange in well, the Godfather, which is like, Oh, yeah. you know, Senator, senators don't get people killed, Michael. And he, Oh, who's being me. Who's being naive now? Okay. Who's being naive? Well, now? Okay. You know? starting with, um, starting with that Eisenhower speech at the beginning, yes. like sets it all up and very beautifully. And like uh, all through Dr. X, it's big business, you know, war yeah. is big business. And you see that today. Although yes. one of the most insane <laughs> acting choices I've ever seen is Donald Sutherland listing, you know, what you did, like who benefits whatever and then he flips around and does the three like, <laughs> yeah. the European three, and i'm like whoa donald whoa dude yeah it's just like too much like he was yeah. like look i'm really underplaying this performance i'm gonna do some really serious handwork to uh make everyone you know Making legend notice well like, also like but, but i do think just just one word, uh, just one quick yeah. word on those three performances, which is John Candy, uh, Joe Pesci, and Tommy Lee Jones. And I remember from watching from the very beginning and what I realized uh, when I was a, a kid, you know, when I knew John Candy as a very lovable man in person and on screen and Joe Pesci, mostly from my cousin Vinny and Home Alone. At that point in my life, I was 12, you know, um, and, uh, but but today is like, what those performances I think best articulate in the film is the amount of fear that John that uh, John Candy's character feels moving from such a cool cat, nothing touches him, to absolutely get up from the table afraid. Joe Pesci, you know, wig falling over his face, terrified. And then on the other side, Tommy Lee Jones, completely unafraid and unaccountable. You know, a small moment where he said, you know, admits to his alias, but like, I'm going to go home and cook some etouffee. I shall go home and cook some etouffee when he's done. <laughs> I mean, and it just, yeah. it just highlights like who gets crushed and who gets to be, uh, you know, free of accountability. It, there's that beautiful pro like beautiful prostitute scene where, you know, Garrison's interrogating her about being oh, around Lolita all these, yeah, yeah, around these. She's so good. Yeah, she's so amazing. But just that line of like, they killed the president. You think they're not going to kill a call girl? You, you think they're not going to kill a show yeah. girl like me? And it's like, yeah, they will. <laughs> you know, I get it. It's like I wouldn't talk if I, because my life's too cheap. You know, they killed the president of the United States, and like that, you can't imagine the shudder that would just ripples through an entire community of like, oh, anything's possible now. Like if they take that guy out, like that, that, that is the fear and the paranoia of the 1960s is like anyone who is against the establishment. It seems like all these forward thinkers and free thinkers and people who had 
tremendous amount of influence, but we're again we're we're sort of anti the the military industrial complex. We're just and 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 the status quo. We're just getting picked off left and right, and it was that you know and or controlled or looked out for, and you know just that entire thing resonates. And then sometimes you're like some of these movies at the time they felt like they were being you know especially in the 1970s movies that this movie is like wedded to you, you know you look at parallax view and things like that and you're like oh this is a you know this this can't be real it's a like a, a fantasy a paranoid fantasy that is like taking all these american iconic american iconography and turning it into this you know frenzy of paranoia and distrust and then you're like oh no actually that 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 was capturing a feeling and representing it in art and that's why those movies resonate so much and then this is like there's no subtext anymore. It's like text. We're going to go for the jugular. And uh, it's, yeah, really special. I think that what makes this movie work as I was watching it is also the multiple different uh, forms of film that are used in it. Like contextually, like it feels like a documentary. It feels like a beautiful, you know, piece of cinema. It feels informative. It feels entertaining. It, it, it kind of... Uh, encapsulates documentary and drama in the same thing and you know if you watch it they're cutting from you know shooting on super 8 black and white film um stock, stock footage, footage uh let's mimic stock footage with actual footage uh you know and and it it, it creates such like a rich uh, piece of work that's so creative and so artistic and that's what i think makes it work some of these these uh scenes are just so especially from the cinematographer standpoint are so beautifully architected and uh, i just in watching it was just saying you know i don't want to dog on current film but um it's we're in a different realm right now and and what things you know some of the approaches that were going on then you don't see as much uh this day and age and so that and incorporated by all the great acting. And then I get to see, you know, uh, a John Candy performance that is just, you know, very personal. And I get to remember being in New Orleans, going to the Gator Farm. <laughs> <laughs> it's got all the, it's got all the memories for me. So it, it's, it's very cool. You, you know, like I always talk about how these films have that we watch on too much movie, they create worlds and you feel like you're just kind of bumping around New Orleans and then heading off to Texas and a, you know, old Chevy, you know, trying to figure out who killed Kennedy, you know, and do a little goose hunt. Oh <laughs> God. I'm sorry. I, I, I got confused. I'm Mr. Garrison. That's right. I, I was confused. <laughs> David. I, it was only I'm, after I'm gonna, we I'm gonna... got there. Yeah, right, we, right. we realized we didn't we have didn't our shotguns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's the the conclusion, or like the, the the conclusion of that scene is one of my favorite quotes. I'm going to step all over it, which is like, David, I find your story simply not believable. Really? Which part? <laughs> that's yeah. just the best. It's so silly. So good. Oh my god. Uh, the other thing is, and I don't know if this is the same for you guys, but like when I was. As an Australian kid growing up, detached from American culture, or only like consuming it in a, you know, how we consumed it, you know, television, films, etc. It had always been to the point, up until the point that I saw JFK, that I was like, when JFK was murdered, there was like, it felt like it was the universal, it was a universal grief. 
And one of the things that strikes me every time I rewatch JFK, especially in those smoky bar, smoky and sweaty barroom New Orleans scenes, is that when they find out that he's dead, that there's like people in the bar like "Good riddance," and I'm yeah. like, oh, like it feels like awful. It feels like so grating. You're like, oh my god! Like people at the time were so, you know, you think of them as more like not as politically charged. And it's like, no, actually just equally, if not more and outward and uh, affrontingly. So politically charged that they're like, no, I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad someone took him out. He was, he was taking this country down the toilet. And it's like, Oh my God, like that tension is so palpable. And I think when he kind of like is really forthright about it, that it's not just the, you know, the death of a King, um, uh, you know, as, as Garrison says in one of his big speeches, it's, people hated this man and hated progressive politics and wanted to maintain the status quo and maintain the power structures and main and, and, and saw that the change was too much. And, and so even in that moment, I'm like, God, this movie right from the outset is, you know, it's freaking Martin Sheen doing the opening introduction. It's just yeah. like, it's in voiceover. It's, 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 it's absolutely crazy. I think well, I like that. I- I like, you know, that's a great point and yeah. building on kind of what Chris was saying about this movie being kind of, I don't know, there, there, there is such a great amount of rudeness to this movie, right? Like yeah. mm. amongst all this genteel Southern culture and outside of that, like just kind of status quo 60s life, there's drugs, there's amyl nitrate <laughs> i mean so much <laughs> it's still like when i think back to my parting days it's me i'm kevin bacon dressed up in like a victorian <laughs> wig doing poppers <laughs> you know what i mean um but like it's drugs it's sex it's homosexuality yeah. do you know how close crazy politics do you know how close your introduction was um an extra in the deep background of a David Ferry party scene. And I actually deleted <laughs> yeah, it. You yeah, know, no, it was... this is great. <laughs> I am David Ferry's Mice. I mean, <laughs> um, but the, 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 the rudeness of it is, yeah. you know, very Oliver Stone, obviously, but also particularly uh, effective uh, amongst its time and the time it's depicting and it forces you to look at things that you don't want to look at in the American underbelly. And, the fact that it takes place in New Orleans, which is such a contradictory city, you know. I mean, I got married in New Orleans. I love New Orleans, but um, it's just uh, it's so noticeable and effective for Oliver Stone to make some really grating uh, truths become apparent in his mind, at least as part of his propaganda or you know thesis yeah. statement, which is utterly believable i watched this movie my wife had never seen it and so we watched it and we're kind of talking about it as we go and she was like holy shit <laughs> i was like yeah man yeah imagine, imagine being in a theater imagine just having like that she con- she turned to me and said i married lee harvey oswald <laughs> <laughs> and i said man he worked more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had more. He had more posts, but you know what? We both used a press very well, and uh, yeah. did like to stand out with our flyers of our headshots and hand them out on a new New Orleans street corner. Five twenty one Camp Street, baby. <laughs> you get oh. that address off this flyer. 
Ed Asner. Oh, man. Ed Asner is scary in that movie. Scary. Yeah, he really is. Just rage. Unbridled right-wing rage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, like, I mentioned it. Um, Once INA, always INA. Yeah, it's, this movie is 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 one cohesive film, but it also feels like a billion short films. I mentioned it yesterday to you guys. Like, I could watch any of these scenes play out for an hour of television, you know? They were just, you know, these characters are so rich and so in depth. Like the the scene with Kevin Costner and, uh, um, oh my gosh, blanking on the airplane scene. Blah, oh, blah, Walter Matthau. Walter Matthau, yeah, of course. Uh, that scene uh, when he's the senator and he's, you know, they're drinking brandies or whatever, flying over uh, the White House, looking down on things, talking about hippies, uh, long hairs with babies, and it was just a love child, you know. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, I, I, my interesting anecdote with this is that, you know, I obviously was a kid when this movie was being made. I was very young, maybe five years old, but I have a pretty good memory from that time. And the trip down to New Orleans was, uh, you know, my dad invited me and my cousin and my sister to go down to the production. Uh, so we were able to go down there when they were filming. My mom was there too. We kind of were doing just, you know, family stuff. We went to an aquarium, went to a gator farm, all, all these things. And um, I remember my dad was just, from what I understand, was like really nervous about doing this role in the movie. And it was, you know, he'd gotten a vocal coach from what I understand to get the accent right. And this was his it first- was great dramatic role um and after all of this and he went to film and i remember actually being on location as a kid uh, in that restaurant scene oh, seeing him in the uh, wardrobe i still have the ray-bans that he wears um in that scene yeah um i i i, I have a collection of his sunglasses that i will just like never really wear only on like special occasions because they're just too it's too freaky like to have anything happen to him but he um you know, I I remember being there and seeing him and just, you know, seeing how the, the bigness of the character. And later, you know, when you're in that lifestyle and maybe Robbie could speak to that, like life is kind of goes by pretty quick. You're kind of a part of a circus show, you know, mm -hmm. they're there, you know, your dad is going here, going there, all you know, all year round, their schedules are so crazy. And, you know, next thing I know, you know, maybe not more than five to six months later, we're in D.C., and um, he's going to the White House to meet Bush, which he wasn't that happy about from what I understand. But um, but Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau were there. And for years I was going, why were Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau at the White House at the same time? And then I see JFK for the first time and I go, and this is now years later down the road when I'm an adult. And I go, oh, okay, that, that's why they were there. You know, someone at the White House saw the movie, invited the uh, the, the comedians over to the White House. And that that's why that invitation happened. But it, it's all out of And your dad went to see two of his heroes, probably. He's like, oh, yeah, it's it's Lemon and Matthew. I don't, well, fucking, I don't want to meet Bush, but I'll go. I'll go and do the right thing, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I, you know, and I don't, I, I, I do want to state this too. Like, I don't really know. I never knew my dad's politics or anything yeah. like that. You know, it was kind. Of, I don't think he really had a say, but I think he was uh, kind of outside of politics at the end of the day. But, yeah. um, and it was also wasn't that time, um, where people had a, a side. Uh, maybe is a way to put it. But I know in him choosing to do this movie was definitely like leaning towards the side that there was a curiosity and yeah. like you know possibilities but i always thought that Matthau and lemon 
were kind of avenues of my father's strengths. You know, yeah. it's like the odd couple existed inside of him because he had the vulnerability of Lemon, but then he also had that kind of brashness of, of Mathal if he wanted to. So I just thought, and I'll, I'll end it here. I just always thought that it was so cool that he was able to be in a movie with those two because for myself, I, I love Jack Lemon and Walter Mathal. They're just unbelievable actors. I can't, Agreed. I can't believe being a kid and seeing your dad, who must have been such a sweetheart, in a panic. It's a strange thing. It would have been a strange thing to see him like preparing to be in a panic, preparing to be derailed, preparing to be uncool. Um, well, he he lived with anxiety, so he you know towards his later years he had a lot of anxiety that would come in and out that was very visible. Yeah. Um, and it was because you know he was beginning to get in touch with a lot of the things he needed to get in touch with uh, as a person um, in his later years. But I you know. I, he was capable of panic. <laughs> but he knew he knew he knew where to go for that. And and Rob, to that point, that character talking about as dead as this crab meat, going right to uh, getting up and leaving. I love that Good scene day, too. Sir. I'll leave my dad's stuff on this because I don't want to be like in the next slide of my father's life. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love that first scene where he's talking about like a man on fire, and there's literally like across the way. This, you know, the 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 stake being flamed up or something like that. Yeah. It's on the man's shoulder. I I just such a cool fucking scene. And God, I love him and I miss him. And he was just so cool in that scene. So cool. Fuck. Ugh. It's your your dad gave gave me a couple uh, hats. Uh, guns and snakes. Do you remember? Yeah. That? Yeah. Of course. Guns and snakes was, was like a a fake gang that he created um, <laughs> and uh and it was with his kind of crew it was like uh manny perry was in that group who we talked about on the last episode uh his driver frankie and then his uh wardrobe man silvio and uh so yeah there's there's all kinds of cool stuff in his world but yeah guns how, and snakes. how this podcast wasn't called guns and snakes i don't know um what's going on that's the, we, that's the <laughs> We definitely need some hats. We've got it. We've got to get that into the. We've got to get that into the. Uh, the too much movie logo just to 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 honor to honor JC. But no, what's awesome is this movie does. It's like it, every scene is a depth charge because you get so happy to see someone who you love. Like, mm -hmm. and your dad scene is like one of the like I would say is like the the apex of this. Like, oh, I love him. I, I'm yeah. excited. I'm so excited that Kevin Costner is sitting across from John Candy right now. I'm in love with this scene for a moment. And then he's like dripping with cool and it's sweaty and he's charming as all hell. And then Garrison's like bulldozer interrogating him. Technique. Yeah. yeah, calling him out. Would you stop eating that crab for one second? Put <laughs> yeah. down that crab. <laughs> oh. oh, God. He's so great. And um, he also. One last thing, when he offers Tommy Lee Jones the cashew pieces, yeah. I'm like, he he did that to your dad and who's Harry Crumb? He goes, your dad's in that movie and he, he always is offering people food. He's offering him Tommy Lee Jones cashew pieces. He offers your dad a Diet Coke and then a thing of cherries. And then he goes, oh, you put it together, make a cherry Coke. Like <laughs> I've seen I've seen more scenes where my dad's offering someone else food. It must have been a thing where he was like <laughs> an acting thing to do. You want to try some? Anyways. It was what makes people act real. That's the hilarious thing. It's like when Quentin Tarantino directed a uh, a CSI episode. Yeah. Like it's people started to then bring up the Coppola 
that like a, as like a couple of soundbite. He's like, if you ever want someone to act naturally in a scene and they're acting, they're t- they're taking it too far away, feed them. And it's like the famous plantation scene in Apocalypse Now. He had all these like f- famous French actors come in for that scene, and he's just like, make them eat because they did all they you know when you're eating, you lose a little bit of that you know yeah pomp pompous sort of energy you you're very sort of organic and you're like i'm eating i'm i'm just being a normal human being um and then you know i won't say who because it's rude but if you go back to the quentin tarantino directed episode of csi there's a few actors who are just stuffing their face incessantly throughout the entire duration of the episode because tarantino's like no i'm not getting what i need out of this person so you're just gonna stuff their face instead uh, for the entire duration so well, your he, dad, your dad being comfortable, like yeah, have something to eat, like breaking the ice, like tipping him on, tipping him over a little bit. So that's you know, taking them la- out, taking them out yeah. of that inorganic or inauthentic something. It's really cool. One last nugget too is he, I guess, was re- read the script for uh, Pulp Fiction to play um, the wolf. I think that that part was offered my dad. And uh, he wasn't able to do it, but I was hearing that. St- heard that story for years, um, and it was. Ooh. I guess I always looked for the script, but I guess I just got confirmation recently that it was back in the days when like scripts were just sent out, and you had to read it, and then it would get picked up by someone to go back to Tarantino's company. So um, never found it, but yeah, that's that's uh, that was just the time frame he was he was branching out into those characters. Anyways, enough about that. Let's go into no, more I of mean- the movie. Just one, you know, just if, if I could, Chris, yeah. like, uh, thank you for sharing that stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I, I love Oliver Stone for is putting your dad in this role. And it's just such a a wonderful turn to see, you know, I feel like John was seen as like a, you know, a love, like a, a lovely misfit non-threatening funny man and like to see right. how much more there was and it, it to me it's kind of bittersweet um just because it also highlights how, how much we lost when we lost him and you know yeah. how, how how missed he really is and it, it's nice to see that turn and that stone gave him that turn because um he was a really talented amazing dude and you know I appreciate that. There was a lot yeah. of footage. And you never have movie. to, can I just say also, you never have to apologize. We've been dying to talk and you <laughs> share, you, you, you sharing that. It's really special. And I would just want to echo what Rob said. It's really special that you can share it because. Oh, thanks you know, guys. It's so, it's so special. And I just love the reality of like, mom took us to the aquarium while dad was working. What was dad doing? He was in the biggest fucking movie of the 90s. <laughs> like he's just across from the biggest fucking movie stars doing the role of his lifetime. Like just crushing it. And what were you doing? I was at a gator farm. I just I, like as a dad, like I fucking love that shit. Like there's going to be one wild story one day for my kids. I hope that like, where were we? Oh, we were in LA. And what was dad doing? Oh, he was, you know. He was off with his friends, Robert and Chris, and they were doing some fucking wild live screening of something, you know, like, <laughs> I, I can't wait for that. Like, what were you guys doing? Oh, we went to Disneyland, <laughs> you know, like just, so, I love the, the, rea- the actual circuit, like what you said, the circus life reality of being a big performer. It's, it's, and, and especially again, you know, this movie, this movie's not some of the movies that we've covered so far on too much movie. It's a wild yeah. choice for everyone who's in it 
And um, yeah, it's extra special that well, you have a personal connection to it. I appreciate you guys saying that because I sometimes, you know, do feel like I don't want to over uh, talk about them sometimes, but um, but I'm always happy to because I could go on forever. And with that, I have one other note. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's true. I, I love them and I miss them. And um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's really just, it's nice to talk to you guys about it. And um, the fact I, you, you know, have I, these sunglasses, Chris, I'm so sorry. I can't get over it. I can't get <laughs> It, the fact that you're not wearing them right now, we have ah. to get you. If you can please send a selfie, we have to. If you've got them, we have to. Sure. You got to send us a selfie. They are the coolest fucking sunglasses in all movies, as far as I, inside a smoky New Orleans restaurant, stuffing your face with crab meat, wearing those sunglasses <laughs> inside is the coolest shit in the world. Well, I had heard um, about a week ago, actually, from a friend of his. Um, Another story from this is they had shot a lot of his stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot more of that character, the Dino character that was filmed. A lot of it ended up on the floor. Um, and I remember I, from what I was told is that Kevin Costner saw an edit of it and he had said, there's these scenes with John you have to put back in the movie. And he did, you know, and I think I'm, I'm I'm wondering if it's those act scenes, um, you know, where you kind of see Dino's uh, positioning around Lee Harvey Oswald and around Bircham. Um, And I'm wondering if that's what it was, because supposedly there's much more footage that was shot of him. And, and um, you know, and I, I think that that's uh, a really cool thing in regards to Stone's ability to listen to his other actors and, you know, take that note because the film is, I will say one thing with it being a three hour movie is none of it's wasted. You don't ever feel bored while watching this movie. No. It, it it really keeps you going. And and I think it's also because it's constantly changing. It's these new scenes, these new environments. And yeah, I, um, if you're bored I, in JFK, you're, I think that's a surefire way to realize you're like Bruce Willis in the sixth sense and you're actually dead. You know, <laughs> like if, if someone, think, if someone was like, I'm bored, I don't think anyone like, could be bored. <laughs> I, I bet they could be overwhelmed though. It yeah, dense, I, I've, it's a dense movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, it's like I, getting I, I, hit in the head I, with a fucking brick. Yeah, it's it's like it's really and the director's cut. So we, you know, the, I, I'm not sure how readily available which versions are, but like the director's cut is 17 minutes longer in already a massive movie. Um, and there's a bunch of scenes that got put back in. You know, uh, additional. Um, Bill Broussard scenes and flashbacks with Oswald and Clay Shaw and, um, you know, fake Oswald, you know, test driving a new car. And there's, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Frank Whaley, by the way, fake Oswald. Um, and yeah, yeah, just lots of new scenes that are in this. I'm not sure what, what people are readily available. Like if you can watch, I know I've got it on DVD and Blu-ray, but there's like, uh, if you're watching it on prime or if you've got it on Netflix, depending where you are, like, I'm not sure what version is out there as readily available as others, but the director's cut from the DVD is longer. And, and, and it's just, again, it doesn't feel, and it doesn't feel bloated. It just feels like more, it just feels more of the same energy. So right. the amount of footage they must have of every actor to then scattergun it the way that they do with this sort of high temper, boom, 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 this assault. Um, they must have shot enough for a whole eight-episode, eight-hour Netflix series pretty much for every single person and then just shrunk it and smashed it into this three-hour assault. 
But that's kind of cool because I, I have a friend who is in the business and, and he does another film podcast, my friend, Mike Pesci and um, no relation to Joe, but um, he always says that a lot of these scripted TV shows now should be movies, you know, and we are right now missing the really good film right now there, you know, we've kind of elongated everything. And, and, you know, this is a great example of like taking all of the, the great crab meat and putting it into one plate, you know, it, 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 it is a, it's a rich film that's condensed with a lot of the best choices, the best takes the most important um, uh, narrative uh, decisions. And so I just, I think that um, it feels that way when you're watching it and it speaks to a really solid film, the nineties, man. I, I would, lo I would <laughs> well, love if we films. took that. I would love if they took that. Yeah, sorry, Rob. But I would love if they had that ethos just in general. Like when you when you sign up to Netflix and you say you're signing up for like an eight-episode series, I would love they say, we're signing up for a five to eight-episode series <laughs> so that you could like... Yeah. Choose. Squash it. Like if one episode feels like filler, kill it. Like change it. Edit it in. Yeah. Like smash two episodes together. Make it faster. Make it more dynamic. That's um. That feels like where we should yeah. be going instead they're like no turn into 24 and make it over five years it's like no do we need that yeah oh god this movie rob, rob you're you, you go ahead rob or like no no tell me but your your dad did a movie with oliver stone didn't he yeah he did uh salvador i saw that in a film class in college and yeah it's a good that, movie it's a it really good movie. good movie it's a James great movie Woods. Yeah, going off yeah. absolutely on one. Yeah, that yeah. production must have been crazy. Just I don't know. I heard it was. I was not there. I was a baby. <laughs> I was a baby, and he was not around. But uh, yeah, I think James Woods. It's you, we forget the guy turned out to be such a fucking asshole. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean, like yeah. how great, how he great was. He, he was back then. Yeah. Really smart to... guy, and it's like, well, whatever. I don't, I don't want like James Woods to start tweeting at me or whatever. But anyway, yeah. He, <laughs> no, I know it's. He, it's did. Just... he talked about he talks about Oliver Stone really like his direct. My dad, at least, he talks about his directing style and how how like manipulative he was. But um, you know, he doesn't necessarily say it was a bad thing. But he he'd like tell james woods like hey look out man this guy's better than his brother he's gonna steal your movie and then he'd tell my dad like hey it's james woods like he, he everyone's gonna be looking at him you, you gotta be seen so like they have this like manic energy through all of salvador where they're like fighting each other in every scene and i think you could just you do know, that <laughs> you just tell them to act that but you know i'm not oliver stone what what do well, i yeah. know that, he is, that, he's effective that plays he's, to another oliver stone movie that i undoubt, undoubtedly we're going to talk about it's like any given sunday feels like everyone yeah. is in the fiercest competition to smash each other off of the screen which makes more sense than yeah. like a journalist a dj <laughs> on the road in mexico like i feel like oh it's about football and the politics of money you know yeah. <laughs> like okay yeah. i get it but yeah but, I, but but to bring back to JFK is, um, you know, and, and, you know, I guess one more thing about my dad is you, you'll never hear somebody talk about someone more lovingly than my my father, about your father, Chris. Yeah. Only the lonely is 
one of his favorite experiences ever. So I remember being on that set and yeah. your dad being very kind and sweet and taking me aside always, always. I always felt like we were buds and we, we didn't really hang out that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? We met a few times, but he made me feel like I was his bud. But uh, JFK, um, you know, is so cool. Like, I, do we know who the Walter Matthau senator is based on? Yeah, so the senator... The, the character is Senator Long, and I'm just going to write, I'm just going to, um, he was, uh, there is a Senator Russell yeah, B. I'm Long. Sure. He was a, he was a democratic politician based on a real guy. So it was Russell Billy Long. Um, and he was the Louisiana Senator. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that, that moment is like the, the first, you know, obviously three acts or whatever, five acts, I don't know, but you know, it, they're so long and so dense that it's just, it could have been a series of just, you know, the grief and then out of that grief, the awareness that something's not quite right, which we get with Walter Matthau. And then like, yeah, the, the, you know, the investigation and then the trial. Right. Mm. And for me, the, the most, fun part of this is the, the investigation which goes from you know essentially david ferry through uh mr x yeah i mean that's yeah. to me the juice and then if there's one part that's a little boring all these years later it's unfortunately garrison's speech like i love yeah. it but like <laughs> we get it we, you know don't do not forget your king i get it and like that high angle camera shot it was it was awesome but like maybe he Maybe that was a little too much movie there. Like, yeah, he could have. We could have cut that down. But well, uh, did you? Well, well, let's let's qu quickly take the fastest break of all time, and then we can actually yeah. dive into those scenes because I think that we're going to talk about. I, I completely agree. So let's 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 quickly dive in uh, after the break into our favorite scenes. just hope it was worth my while, Mr. I could give you a false name, but I won't. Just call me X. Look, I'm sorry, lads. I've got to dip off to Washington for a bit because we have a special guest for this episode. He's the editor at large at RogerEbert.com a TV critic for New York Magazine and Vulture.com, a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in Criticism, best-selling author of the Wes Anderson Collection, Wes Anderson Collection, Grand Budapest Hotel, Mad Men Carousel, recently stunning Deadwood Bible that somehow took me from evangelical to extremist for my favorite show, and most pertinently, author of the Oliver Stone Experience. You can call him Mr. X, but I know him. As Matt Zolazites. Matt, thank you for dropping in and coming and sitting by thank the you. figurative Washington Monument to talk to me all about <laughs> this it's, absolutely it's, lunatic, it's, amazing movie. It's not the it's not the Washington Monument. It's just an air filter. But we'll <laughs> pretend it's fine. <laughs> How are you? How are you? And look, firstly, just before we dive into all things JFK, um, I have thank you for 
getting me a copy of the Deadwood Bible. I've been so in Australia. I know you guys have done this as a, a huge independent effort. And I, the other night, started reading. I think if anyone was tracking what was happening in my life, I started reading the Deadwood Bible. I then went and watched the Deadwood movie, cried relentlessly and then went back and read more of the Deadwood Bible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, if, so if anyone needs to know how I'm going, um, that's how, that's how I was going. Um, it's really beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. And yeah, you know, thank you for bringing it into the world for all of us who were so keen. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was, it was a team effort. There were about a dozen people involved in it and, uh, you know, it's, it was a lot, but we got it done. It's great. It's here. It exists. Um, today I've asked you to come and talk, uh, a little bit about, um, obviously the Deadwood Bible right at, right out. It's just released. So for everyone go to, uh, linked in the show notes, there's a Matt Zolazite's press or MZS press link. Um, uh, they're currently to the website. So go and check that out. Great books, lots of sales, um, and keep an eye on Twitter. You can see that sort of stuff there as well. Um, but, I want to talk to you about JFK because I've just Chris Candy, my co-host uh, on this podcast, and Rob Belushi. Chris's dad, John, obviously is in this movie. We've just hadn't been having an amazing chat about John and and having an amazing chat about Chris remembering going to New Orleans and hanging out with his siblings, going to the aquarium and going to Gator Parks while his dad was doing this massive dramatic role. So it's a very personal one for us. But also, I was dying to talk to you about it because I I love your uh unpacking of it in the book the oliver stone experience and about this movie and about its impact and i think particularly you as like the editor at larger roger ebert.com i think roger did some of his best writing ever on this movie and talking about this movie as a text um and particularly in your book the oliver stone experience i think you totally get that so i just wanted let's let's jump back into I guess the early nineties when Oliver Stone was the most powerful American mainstream filmmaker and talk about the the stones literally to make a movie this inflammatory uh, and this antagonistic to the establishment. Well, I mean, we could take it back to Dallas, which is my hometown. And I was living in Dallas when Oliver Stone was shooting it. And in fact, as I recounted the book, I was, I was an extra on born on the 4th of July. <laughs> and I, and I, they originally, uh, they originally, uh, got me that I was supposed to play one of the, one of the hippies because uh, I had long hair and a beard when they, when they did the open call. And then when I arrived, I was clean shaven and had short hair because I had a girlfriend and, <laughs> and I didn't want her, her parents to think that I was a, a hippie. And, uh, so they made me a young Republican. They cast me as a young Republican, <laughs> but I didn't want to be a young Republican. So I fabricated this entire backstory for myself which is i was a young republican i was on the side of the national guard but when i saw what they were doing i became outraged and i was actually they were like beating on a hippie chick and i was and i like rushed in to try to save her and they started beating on me and i ran away and i was pursued by these actors playing the national guardsmen but here's the thing they had two sets of national guardsmen one of them had real clubs and they were clacking them menacingly on their shields and the other ones had fake clubs and for some reason I and I apparently I guess I antagonized one of the guys who had real clubs and so they chased me to the parking lot behind the administration building and he started beating me and I <laughs> and I put up my arm to shield myself and I actually got bruises on my arm from this guy with his with his baton and I said I said what the fuck man what are you doing and he suddenly it was like he had been possessed by the spirit of the scene and he and he took his helmet off 
<laughs> and it was a guy I knew. And he was like, oh, my God, Matt, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. I was like, Don? You know, like, I was like, what? Anyway, so that was my full immersion into the into the world of Oliver Stone and his and his intensity. Um, everybody there was really, really into it. That was the Syracuse protest sequence at Born on the Fourth. And no, you won't see me in there. They had like six cameras going, and I'm sure they didn't use the take that I gave my all for as an actor. That's not. I, I've gone through that thing like it's a Zapruder film, going like <laughs> the, the brown haired guy over there that you see for two frames. Could that be me? Probably not. Oh, but anyway. God. I was there and then he and then he shot, you know, he shot talk radio there first in 1987 and it came out in 88 and he liked shooting in Texas for a variety of reasons, including the fact that it was non-union <laughs> and he could get he could get things done cheaper. And so he shot Born on the Fourth of July there and he in Syracuse and uh, uh, what, what was the name of the I can't forget the name of the town that uh, Ron Kovic was from. Uh, but uh, but Long Island uh, was doubled by Oak Cliff, which is a neighborhood in Dallas. Yeah. And um, they shot uh, they shot most of that movie, I think, except for the Vietnam scenes. I believe they went to Philippines or Mexico. I can't. No, they did. They went to Philippines for Vietnam and Mexico for the Mexico sequences. That's what happened. But the rest of it, including the Miami sequence, I believe, was shot in Dallas. And uh and then he shot the doors all over the world, and then he came back to Dallas for JFK. And it took a lot of nerve to come to, J to Dallas to do JFK. Um, obviously, it wasn't the first time somebody had shot a story about the assassination in Dallas, but it was the first time that a film of this nature had been made. And uh, it was controversial. There were a lot of people who didn't like Oliver Stone. It was a very Republican town uh, at the time, much more so than it is now, although it's still pretty, pretty right wing. And there were people who were just kind of offended by the very idea of Oliver Stone telling his story. And they kind of knew that it, that it, it was taking it as a Oswald was a patsy kind of story. And a lot of people didn't like that. And it was very traumatizing, re-traumatizing for a lot of people here. Um, I don't think necessarily in a bad way. Sometimes you got to rip the scabs off. Um, yeah. But, you know, the whole time I was growing up, like I was born five years after Kennedy was killed. But it was a shadow hanging over me and everybody else in town for much longer than probably when I left in the mid 90s. I bet it was still hanging over there. And I think it probably still is today, although it started to fade. It's been a while since it happened. So I think it's finally starting to the aftershocks are not resonating in the way that they used to. But he shot it in, in Dealey Plaza. He spent a long time in Dealey Plaza recreating the assassination. He, he, he shot a lot of other stuff in and around Dallas and uh um, at the sound stages in Las Colinas, which is uh, near the airport here. And when it finally came out, I was completely unprepared for everything about it. I mean, you know, the starting with the fact that it was preceded by this advanced wave of negative publicity. Uh, it's very rare that Time and Newsweek put the same piece of entertainment on their cover at the same time. And there's only been a handful of times, I think, when that happened. One of them was uh, when Springsteen released Born to Run. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the other and the other was uh, another one was JFK. And it, but it was about how it was a threat, how JFK was bad for America, basically, um, that it was uh, irresponsible, fear mongering, um, possibly slanderous and libelous and um just bad, 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 bad Oliver Stone, bad Oliver Stone. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, I think the end product is dazzling. And, and I did the first sight and sound poll that I participated in, the decade list, 
was in the, I guess it was in the nineties or maybe the early aughts probably. And I put JFK as one of my 10, 10 most important or best films. I think it was a list of the 10 most influential films of all time. And I put it on, uh, on there along with, you know, birth of a nation, citizen Kane and star Wars because of the <laughs> way that it transformed storytelling. Yes. You know, like its impact on every level of the industry, even the far flung corners of it. Um, it wasn't just movies that were changed by JFK. JFK kind of imported uh, certain techniques from from what we now call unscripted television, from those kind of tabloid documentaries. Um, and uh, Martin Scorsese actually, in in some of his interviews, including the one he gave for Glenn Kenny's excellent book Made Men, talked about how he wanted some of the editing style, some of the rhythm and energy of it, the tawdriness of it, to be a bit like those TV shows. And and Stone really took it to the next level. And it was an absolute monster, the way that thing was put together and flashing back and forth through time into people's imaginations. And, and you know, when you see the movie again, you realize that, uh, and I think if anything, and this is something that's rarely said about Oliver Stone, but I think Oliver Stone may have been a little too subtle in the way that he, <laughs> that he did certain things in this movie. Can I, can I just say, <laughs> it's not that, a has, charge. that has never been said before about Oliver Stone until this probably not <laughs> i actually told him that i was like i said i actually said when i interviewed for the book i said oliver i you, i think you've probably never heard this before but you needed you you used too light of a touch here uh because <laughs> people were people were i think people were and i think to some degree still are misreading the movie it's like he's saying oh so everybody killed kennedy the CIA, the mafia, the Cubans, the military industrial complex. And that's not actually how those flashbacks are coded. They are coded as Jim Garrison speculating, putting pieces together, imagining things because he doesn't have the answers. And the reason yeah. he doesn't have the answers is because the government won't provide them. And that's the most important thing. The root thing that I think people forget when they talk about this movie is that this movie was made in response to 28 years of uh, stonewalling and obfuscation and uh, misleading um, bad faith sort of arguments and tactics by different parts of the United States government, legislators, executives, the military, the intelligence uh, community, everybody. They wouldn't tell us what they knew. They would tell us these tiny little slivers and those had to be pried out of them with a crowbar uh, by either going through the courts or by simply agitating in the press or through the media. You know, there have been other movies of this nature uh, that have been made. Um, it kind of, and, you know, some of them were directly about the Kennedy assassination and others like uh, Winter Kills and the Parallax View were basically about the Kennedy assassination, but they were also about other assassinations and about the government's habit of shielding what they know from the public. And, and I don't know about you, I guess maybe I have a cynical mindset, but when something like this happens, which is a national trauma, 9-11 was another one, um, when the government reacts by refusing to tell us what they know, that's where conspiracies come from. And yes, there are certain people who are going to have a conspiratorial mindset no matter what, but the first reflex of the government is to cover things up. And, and we like to ascribe sinister, purely sinister and malevolent motives to that. But in a lot of cases, it's just people covering their asses like they, if no information goes out they can't be blamed for their failure to stop something from happening 
or or accused of participating in something. And and if there are people who are nefarious who are actively involved in in helping to kill Kennedy, they don't want that out coming out either. So there's a million reasons why they try to keep things from coming out. And remember, the Kennedy assassination was this this fissure that cracked open the world but particularly the United States and nothing was the same after that. And there's always these events in history where people say things were never the same after that. But in that case, in the case of Kennedy being shot, it was actually true. Yeah. And uh, the hottest part of that in terms of the national emotions, I suppose, was that three decade period that led up to Stone making this movie. And I, and Stone making this movie actually did make a positive difference. There were files that were released as a direct result of the shit storm that he kind of unleashed. Um, so that was positive. <laughs> and, and, and also I think that, you know, I've read a number of pieces saying that he is responsible for the mainstreaming of conspiracy theories. I think that probably would have happened anyway, but I think this is one conspiracy theory that needed to be mainstreamed. And, and I did a series of video essays in collaboration with Kevin Lee back in 2008 for the Museum of the Moving Image about Stone and about uh, Stone's how Stone treats history. And he treats it the way Shakespeare did. And he's, he is trying to illuminate a larger truth. And, you know, of course, when you, when you dramatize history, there are going to be things that are omitted, things that are combined, characters who are created to represent one or more people. Like, the, you know, the hustler played by Kevin Bacon is not just one guy. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a composite. There's a lot of characters in this movie who are composites. There are some characters who never exist, like the investigator played by Lori Metcalf. Uh, there were no women on that team and Stone really wanted there to be at least one woman in that room. And, you know, again, that's Stone being sensitive to charges of sexism is also something that's, you know, kind of new in his career. Um, and and, you know, there were a lot of liberties taken and I think most of them are not. Um, unreasonable like there are things that if another movie did them we wouldn't we wouldn't really blink we would go well of course they had to do that they can't put everything in they can't put every character in this the, the and even the editing style of the movie stone said to me you know we talked a lot about how it was edited and he said uh, um that uh he had read a lot of writing analyzing what some of the choices meant like what they thought he was trying to do and he said, you know, it's very it is very flattering to think that this was influential and that people are have all these theories about why the movie does certain things at particular moments. But he said the truth of the matter is we didn't have a choice but to try to find some kind of innovative way to edit it because we didn't. And and he kind of trailed off. And I said the movie would be 12 hours long. And he said, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well... exactly. So, so, you know, rather than having characters talk about what happens and then garrison goes off by his own and does some research and we get more flashbacks we get entire flashbacks that are full scenes they're just like look we got a million or two million feet of film here and this can't, this thing can't run more than about three hours so we got to figure out some other way and that's what they did it's it's still stunning to me about the economy i mean i know that probably financially <clears throat> studios these days would be like if you're going to make this oliver we want a 24 episode four series run on netflix you can show every one of these backstories all these things and the thing that i don't i think that what i would call his kind of editing it's like a cocktail it's a mixer you're putting these things together and when you are just not not going a whole bottle of this and a whole bottle of that but just giving these mixes that cocktail energy of every scene means that just it's an assault you just constantly bang 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 every thought 
it's editing as almost sometimes how a conspiratorial synapse is firing. Thinking about this film stock changing, flashback, stock footage, you know, color corrected tone, imagination, speculative, whatever. Um, I, I, I'm just, I just marvel at how dense every couple of minutes of this three hour thing is. And the guys and I will continue to unpack in this podcast about like, it's the fastest three hour movie ever made. Like it's, there is so much in this three yeah. hours. It, it is moving relentlessly. There's barely a moment that you pause to even take a breath. And when you do, it feels like a relief because especially, you know, as you are special guesting as our kind of Mr. X in this, that whatever it is, 19 minutes of the movie is unbelievable and so stuffed with information that you can't even believe it almost as, as that unfolds in the film. It's amazing. And, and in fact, you know, I saw the movie in the theaters, I think probably three times, maybe four. And then it came to SMU where I was a senior. I was, I started writing for the Dallas observer when I was uh, still in school. And, uh, so it was my senior year. Uh, actually, it was the end of. I had two senior years. That's a story <laughs> for another time. Um, but it was the end. It, it was the Christmas of my second senior year that it was in theaters, and and they played it. There was a theater at the student union uh, where they showed uh, first run films, and uh, JFK was the movie they showed for a couple of weeks. And actually, my girlfriend at the time and I, we were both really obsessed with this movie. And we knew uh, our favorite sequence in the whole movie was when Donald Sutherland shows up and lays it all out for Jim Garrison. And we actually knew where it fell in terms of the running time. And if we were walking around campus or we were in the dorm or something, and we knew that J JFK was showing that moment, sometimes one of us would go, let's go see Donald Sutherland. And then we'd get <laughs> up and go and we'd arrive right when he sits on that bench. And then we'd watch Sutherland do his thing. And then we'd, get, then we'd leave. <laughs> That it, it is the most clip. It's a clippable moment of the movie in a movie that's three hours long. The shortest clip that you can consume happily is like that, that amazing sequence. Um, but you're so right. Well, and that's all, his whole story is his whole story. You know, again, there's so many characters who could have their own movie, but he's, he's the one I would most like to see have their own movie, oh. you know, um, just the, all the black ops orchestration of all the, uh, of all the coup d'etats around the world leading up to that moment where they had to do it to themselves, you know, that, that whole idea, it's, it's definitely rich in that regard. I, I think when I watch him, you know, and he obviously lays out the whole movie and he lays out all that stuff, but I just think that that's, uh, you, you touched on something earlier that I want to touch on with that. I think he's like, Stone is pretty clear. He doesn't have the answers to me in the, in the coding of the, the whole movie is, asking these very inflammatory and almost like you can't give me a satisfactory answer to these questions. And I know you can't, and I'm going to speculate because you won't allow me to, you know, there's that great part of Garrison's final speech that, you know, our government thinks that they're like a benevolent parent or whatever that is protecting us from this stuff, but they're actually not. They're treating you like children and you're adults and this is your country and we need to know the truth. Um, and, and so that fact that you are just withholding, that's everything. Cause then you allow us, that's exactly what you said. Like not saying something for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons, covering your ass or, you know, actually being nefarious. I think that, that that's what I get back to JFK every time I'm like, you're not hearing what he's asking. He's asking questions that you're not giving him satisfactory answers to. So he's keeping, he's in, continuing to interrogate you. And the more that you sit there right. and sue and don't answer, then the more tendrils to this thing can go off and the wild of the theories but in there 
is something that's so truthful. Well, a lot of people wanted a lot of people wanted Kennedy dead. People tend to forget that a lot of people wanted Kennedy dead. A lot of people on the other side of the political fence wanted him dead. There's a flyer which I believe is reproduced in the movie that says "wanted for treason." And when somebody's and what do you do to people who commit treason? You kill them. Yeah. You know, there was incitement. There was active, conscious uh, incitement of of fervor to kill Kennedy in this country. And we and we tend to want to lie to ourselves about how we've always been. Honestly, we've been teetering on the edge of fascism ever since the end of the Civil War. And we're constantly like they should, you know, those doomsday clocks that show how close we are <laughs> to Armageddon. There should be equivalent for how close the United States is to fascism. I think we're about a few minutes to midnight right now. <laughs> might be might be slightly, slightly better than it was when Trump was in office, but it's still pretty bad. And honestly, it's always been pretty bad. It was bad in the 90s when JFK came out. Oklahoma, the bombing of Oklahoma City happened four years after that. You yeah. know, it's not like it's not like there's been a period where everybody's OK with everybody else here. It's it's you know the civil war never ended in the United States. That was something I talked about with Guillermo del Toro about his movie set against the Spanish Civil War, and we talked about the similarities between the aftershocks of that and the aftershocks of the U.S. Civil War, and like the cultural divisions, the philosophical divisions um, are still there. They're still there. They're still active. They're festering there, and they perpetuate throughout the generations. And uh, we don't seem to want to look at that in this country, really, really look at it and take responsibility for it. And, and, uh, it's bad. It's very, very bad. And Stone knows that. And, you know, Stone is, he's pretty hard to pin down in terms of his politics. Like even when he was more sort of overtly left-wing, he had certain, um, I guess you would say authoritarian, uh, authoritarian tendencies, yeah. um, where, uh, you know, he, he was fascinated by, you know, even his the way that he, the specific way that he adored Kennedy was the way that you would adore an authoritarian leader. Like, yeah. and I don't mean the, I don't mean the bad kind. I mean, like, this is the the whole thing about fascism is like, where is the hero who will come and save us? Yeah, and that's why so many critics, uh, and so, including people in the comic book industry, have been warning us that the obsession with superheroes is is a like a canary in the coal mine that we're at risk of being fascists. People don't want to hear that either. But any time that you put your faith in individuals, particularly charismatic ones who can lead groups or crowds over the system itself and repairing what's wrong with the system, you're on the road to authoritarianism. Yes. And Stone was hip to that, and he was certainly hip to that at the time. Uh, I think, you know, talk radio was where he first uh, really attacked that head on because that's an entire movie that's comprised of people talking. And there's some long monologues that deal with that. And, you know, of course, uh, the, the left wing Jewish host of that who's modeled on a real person is assassinated uh, by a by a reactionary at the end of it. But he continued and then born on the Fourth of July, which is still, in my opinion, the greatest of all of his films and the most perfect because it's about that iconography and how it's used. And, you know, the American flag uh, becomes this kind of unsettling, sinister uh, object in that movie because of how it is used to raise successive generations to want to prove themselves in war. And it doesn't matter what war it is. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, apple pie, fireworks, the Fourth of July, the parade of veterans, all of that stuff gets a kind of a sinister undertow when Ron Kovic starts to feel like something's not quite right and starts connecting it to what happened to him in Vietnam. Um, I just recently read something. I, I don't know how I went my entire life without knowing this, but it was about how 
we have a perception in the United States that World War II was the last time we were truly united. We were all on the same page. Let's go. Let's kick the ass of the Germans, the Japanese, and the Italians, and wipe wipe the Axis powers off the earth and liberate all the oppressed and 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 murdered people, uh, the survivors. And and the truth of the matter is, even when the war was at its peak, something like forty to forty five percent of the U.S. population thought we never should have gone there. So. <laughs> It's not like, you know, it's not like World War II was this this one moment where we're all like, yeah, we all agree on this. Even then, a large portion of the population didn't want anything whatsoever to do with any of that. And whether or not I found, as I paid attention throughout my life, whether or not a member of a political party opposes a war often has less to do with the war itself than with whether the other party is in favor of it. Yes. <laughs> Anytime a Democrat wants to get into a war, Republicans suddenly become these, you know, give peace a chance, kubaya singing peaceniks. But when the Republicans are in charge, we go and invade Iraq. And, you know, anything that anything the Democrats want to do with the military is bad and, and, and warmongering and trying to distract from domestic problems. And then when the shoe's on the other foot, everybody changes their their minds. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it would be laughable if it weren't so dangerous. And the fact that stone was getting into all that in Hollywood movies with big budgets and stars in them is astonishing. And, and uh, nothing like it has really ever happened again. We don't make those kinds of movies anymore, just like we don't make movies like Malcolm X. Yeah. And I, and I like to think of, you know, Mal JFK, Malcolm X and Nixon are, are part of the, you know, the, Stone has this thing he calls the beast, which I think he took from Norman Naylor. But the, the military industrial complex and the industries, you know, that support the military and the and the intelligence community, they are the true authors of American history. They're the true powers behind everything that happens, at least globally. And that's it, that he really believes that there's a lot of truth to that. And I and I know that Spike Lee does, too. And I think of those as being like the beast, you know, the 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 BEU, the beast expanded universe. <laughs> and if you look at and if, you, and if you look at and if you look at Malcolm X, you'll notice that when Kennedy is assassinated, the footage is from JFK. It's from JFK. Yeah. And the reason it's from JFK and the reason it's from JFK is Spike Lee wanted to throw his do his own recreation of the Kennedy assassination. Warner Brothers was like, I'm sorry, the movie is too long as it is. And, and we don't want to give you any more money. And he went to Stone and said, can I just have some of the footage you didn't use? And he was like, have at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the kind of, um, there's a really sweet moment when Spike Lee was recently being interviewed where he was talking about Oliver Stone's new JFK through the Looking Glass documentary series. And mm -hmm. someone was just like, oh, what are you looking forward to seeing? He's like, oh, that new JFK, baby. Like it was like, he was like, he sounded like a, he sounded like a kid who was like waiting for the next installment of a Marvel movie. He's like, oh, Stone's yeah. on that JFK train again, baby. I gotta go see that. I was like, well, that that's, is how, that's how I feel too, <laughs> honestly. Um, but there's one thing that you said there, which I, I think is something that I realized watching it when I was much younger is that, you know, people talk about Australia being, you know, America is like a big cultural imperialistic force in Australian life. And I think that we have dr drunk the Kool-Aid, I think on a, you know, sort of on a pop cultural level of like, oh, America, they, they are harmonized. They are a big superpower. They're our friends, etc. And JFK, especially in the opening scene in that New Orleans bar, that was one of the most, I guess, shocking, forget all of the, you know, overtly shocking. It's one of the most shocking things that I'd ever seen. And it still continues to shock me for its reality now that I'm older and I have greater awareness is 
when Kennedy was shot and people hadn't known that he was dead yet, and then they find out that he's dead and people are like, good riddance in the bar. Like, as an Australian, I was like, were people, I couldn't believe it. Were people, like, happy that he died? Like, wasn't this a universal tragedy of American life? And and that's what I think is, even before you get to the greater inflammatory things that Stone covers much more explicitly in the movie, that was one of those things that still continues to shock me. And I think that that's one of those things that, like you said, maybe he didn't go hard enough. Maybe he was too subtle, which is like, there was dis discord in that room. Like, people, if he, was, if he survived, people in that room would have been mad. And when he died, people were yeah. satisfied and, and it, people getting into a punch up at a bar. And it's like, this is crazy. Well, I remember my dad talking about how he was, he was in a, uh, he was in a restaurant when the news uh, broke and he remembered that some guy in the room, he didn't see who it was, blurted out, good. Uh, and he was horrified. He was horrified. And he was looking, he's like, I was looking around, I was going to yell at the guy, but I couldn't see who said it. And I think he maybe realized that he shouldn't have said that. But that there was at least one person in that room in Dallas who blurted out "Good" when they heard that Kennedy had been shot, and there were a lot of people, and there are still a lot of people in Dallas who were around at that time, and I knew them growing up, who were, I believe, uh, glad that he was killed. And that's not something you can ever say out loud, but you could always tell by how they steered the discussion away from from the assassination and what it meant to the country. But they would say the same thing, and I mentioned this in the book, which is that poor man. Yeah, was what they would say. That poor man, and that poor man was code for we don't uh, we don't talk about that around here. Yeah. That's what that meant. <laughs> and and this movie and a lot of Oliver Stone's movies are basically the muckraking political filmmakers equivalent of that opening shot, that opening scene in Blue Velvet, where you go beneath the 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 green lawn of the suburbs, and underneath are these giant beetles that are whirring and clicking. You know, he's showing you there's a lot of whirring and clicking beetles on screen in this movie. John Candy's character is one of them. He's he's far from the worst. There's a lot of very sinister characters in this film. Um, and, you know, of course, yeah, it is just the tip of the iceberg, you know, like. And this is another area where I think Oliver Stone was a little too subtle. I guess he should have done that Netflix drama thing where everybody comes in and explains the plot every five minutes um, <laughs> and just told you, like. I'm not saying I'm not saying that Tommy Lee Jones and Joe Pesci and Kevin Bacon were personally responsible for killing Kennedy, but they were so they were part of a group that did it. You know, yeah, I don't. And they were I, I associated. Think, you know, they were in the same circles. That's the great, you know, Ed Asner Bannister office of it all. Like that great lemon, you know, the great lemon performance is just like oh, I've seen enough in here to write a book. Like, and which right. then causes him to get beaten because he's like he's just in a space. And there are some very colorful characters that are coming in that space, Cuban revolutionaries yes. and military officers and, you know, different people, investigators and all sorts of salubrious, influential, wealthy characters who should have no business being in that grubby office. And that's just, you know, drums some things up, you know, moves around the the undertow a little bit, murks the water. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really. Well, I just don't, I just don't see how, you know, Anybody who has lived through the post 9-11 period, the, you know, global, you know, quote unquote, war against terror, uh, which included two extended ground wars, one of which just ended like a year ago. You know, <laughs> there was actually an onion. There was an onion story of like, you know, son, I'm paraphrasing, it was like son is, you know, moved, to, uh, sold, uh, uh, a son is moved to be walking the very same trail that his father walked in Afghanistan, you know, 15 years ago. And then there was an actual news story that was basically the same story. 
that's how long that war went on. It was unreal. And, and, you know, it, no one's ever really taken responsibility for the mess that that was. And there was a lot of stuff that's happened subsequently that no one's, no one ever takes responsibility for anything in this country unless they're forced to. And usually they escape consequences. And, you know, do I sound cynical? Yeah, but I've lived here for a while. <laughs> That's another Norman Mailer quote. I think he was called the United States of amnesia <laughs> or no, actually that may have been James Baldwin. Well, whoever said it, it was great. Yeah, it's true. You know, we forget on and, but we forget on purpose. That's, that's the difference. It's not, we don't get hit in the head. It's not an accident. We, <laughs> we decide we're going to forget things because that's the only way that we feel we can move forward. And then, the same things reproduce themselves. I, when I was in college in the 80s and 90s, we were all studying the 60s. And cause, I guess because so many professors and administrators were of that generation, and I became obsessed with Vietnam. And I still have a whole shelf full of books about Vietnam, you know, the battles, but also the policies that led us there. And, you know, um, fire in the lake was a big one. And, and, um, so, you know, I knew a lot more about Vietnam than most 19, 20 year olds did. And I, but, uh, but, it was reassuring to me because as I read all these books analyzing what happened, I thought to myself, well, at least nothing like this is ever going to happen again. But then it did. It did. <laughs> and you and, know what's and disheartening? Were, and, and there you know were people who were in charge of it. I was just going to say, yeah. and in the early 2000s, when I was at university in Australia, I was the guy who had all the Vietnam books on my shelf. And I was reading them all and I'm like, you know what's good about this? It's never going to happen again. And then we're, right. we're, we're in international conflicts that look and smell and walk like the duck that was Vietnam. I'm like, uh, is no, right. one, is no one, you know, no one seeing the same sort of links here, the same sort of rah-rah, you know, fueling well, and, this I don't, and I don't know how you look. And I don't know how you look at the rush to get us into the war in Iraq and not and not if you've seen JFK yeah. and not look back on JFK going, oh, maybe they had a point, you know, that this is about making money for people who manufacture weapons. And they and the number one goal of somebody who manufactures weapons is to make sure that there are wars. It just makes practical bottom line sense. There's nobody who runs weapons manufacturing corporations who is saying, oh, oh, let's not go to war. That would be bad for the world. <laughs> they want it. That's what they make. You know, that's like not wanting to be thirsty and you and you and you make bottled water. You know, I mean, it, it defies logic. And that's a part of it that I think maybe got a little short shrift in Stone's version of it. I think he was so fixated on the Cubans, the mafia and, and all of these other things that, you know, I think that there's only a fairly brief mention of the role that munitions manufacturers play in, in encouraging us to get into wars that that are almost almost always not really necessary um but you know it's it it really sucks that stone his 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 end uh came i think probably after nixon it was a very big movie and it, i think it barely made you know a third of its budget back yeah um and even he admitted that it was the tough sell it's like um JFK, at least you had a mystery at the center of it. And, and Nixon was a character study with a bunch of like, as he put it, like a bunch of old white men with bad haircuts talking in rooms. <laughs> like it's not, it wasn't a mystery to him that nobody turned out for that. Although I think that's one of, I think that's one of his best films. Underrated. Um, a, a terrific film. But, uh, John Williams score. Uh, there's something, if I ever say movie soundtracks, you know, 
in our communities, we talk about great movie soundtracks that pop up every now and then. And I'm just like, if you love John Williams, who is arguably the greatest composer who's ever put music to film, his Nixon soundtrack is amazing. Just oh, go it's back. Great. It's so phenomenal and chilling and just wonderful. Like if you get a chance well, to find it, it's definitely on YouTube. I know like, you know, if you can't get the actual physical media copy yourself, go to YouTube. You can find it. It's brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Well, there was, there was something, you know, something that I, I think I like the, the films that stone did with Williams as his composer, I think are among his very best. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons they're best, uh, they're among his best is because Williams, Williams was extraordinarily skilled at two, not just two, but two of the modes he was really good at was that sort of rah, rah, let's go, let's get together and go kick somebody's ass, kind of martial music, basically. And the kind that you associate with like the Aaron Copeland, like Apple, you know, apple pie cooling on a windowsill, kids playing cowboys and Indians in the backyard and, you know, uh, Roy Rogers, all that kind of 1950 stuff before, before we took a little bit of stock in that myth making. And uh, Williams can reproduce that very, very easily, but he also can do this kind of unsettling, sinister, atonal, um, everyone's losing their minds kind of music. And I think he puts those two modes together brilliantly. And he does it in Born, Born on the Fourth of July and and uh, JFK, certainly, and Nixon. I still hear portions of Nixon's score being used and reused often on like those cable documentaries about unsolved murders. You know, all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, oh, it's the JFK music. Hello. <laughs> well i've got to get off this bench and i've got to go ask some questions and i'm so grateful <laughs> for your time from dallas uh, uh from texas uh talking to me about this movie and it's um it feels like this movie deserves the behemoth podcast we're giving it so thank you so much for your time and you're the best as always and it's always a treat to talk to you and one final thing to digress back to your great work deadwood bible I'll put all the links in the show notes. It's absolutely amazing. And like I said, I, I've, I've been evangelizing that show from minute one. It's a show that I've endlessly rewatched. It is my favorite show. And uh, you've turned me from evangelical to extremist is how I would wow. sell it to anyone else, which is just, it is sensational. You and the entire team, even, even the actual logistics team, packing the damn things and getting them around the world. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time again. You're the best. Oh, thank you. And and the truth is on your side, Bubba. (laughs) I always wanted to say that. All right, gents. It's impossible. This is the hardest I've ever had with like, what are your two favorite scenes? Because especially when you talk about a scene in this movie, it is not a traditional couple of minutes a couple of characters interacting they are just so stuffed with visions and actions and hypotheses and thought processes and flashbacks and stock footage and it's so hard to like to nail certain things down but to rob's point about like where the movie really soars and what the the best i guess sequences are uh, we were sort of talking just before we started recording and i think we're all kind of resounding so i'll throw that out there as like my one of my favorite scenes in the movie that just leads off the entire tone of the movie is where Garrison and his guys walk down to Ed Asner's office. Morning, boys. Ready for a walking tour? 7.30 Sunday morning is not exactly fresh blood we're sniffing here, boss. Old stains, Bill, but just as telling. 
one Lafayette Street. Remember whose office this was in 63? Sure, Guy Bannister. Ex-FBI man. Died a couple years ago. Bannister headed the Chicago office. When he retired, he became a private eye here. I used to have lunch with him. John Birch Society, Minute Man. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Right to the right of Attila the Hunt. He used to recruit college students, infiltrate radical organizations on campus. Headed the Anti-Communist League of the Caribbean. All out of this office. Come around here, I want to show you something. See that? Now take a look here. 544 Camp Street. 531 Lafayette Street. Same building, right? But with different addresses and different entrances, both going to the same place, to the office upstairs. Guess who used this address? Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, how do we know he was here? Because this office address was stamped on the pro-Castro leaflets he was handing out in the summer of 63 down on Canal Street. Now, these are the same leaflets they found in his garage in Dallas. What's this? What the hell is this doing on this piece of paper? After the arrest, 544 Camp Street never appeared on the pamphlets again. Yes. He was arrested that day for fighting with some anti-Castro Cubans. But actually, he had contacted them a few days earlier as an ex-Marine trying to join their anti-Castro crusade. When they heard he was now pro-Castro, well, they paid him a visit. What is this be that shit? You lie to me, you hypocrite! Liar, you son of a bitch! People do not take this paper! This is communist propaganda! Hey, Come on, you pink of shit! Go back to Moscow! There was no real fight, and the arresting lieutenant later said he felt it was a staged incident. In jail, Oswald has a private session with Special Agent John Quigley of the FBI. Oswald is released and quickly destroys his notes from the interview. The arrest gets him a lot of publicity, and as a result, Oswald appears on a local TV debate. But you, uh, you are a communist, are you not? Uh, no, Mr. Bringier. Uh, I am not a, a, a communist. I'm Marxist-Leninist. You are not a communist, but you are a Marxist-Leninist? What is the difference? And here's another one for you. What would you say if I told you the Oswald was trained in the Russian language when he was a Marine? I'd say he's probably getting intelligence training. Well, if you were in the Marines, who would be running that training? Office of Naval Intelligence. Take a look across the street. Post office. Upstairs in 1963, that was the office in... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Naval intelligence. 
just by coincidence, banished it before he was FBI, was O and I. Now, what's that little saying they have? Once O and I, always O and I. Well, he likes working near his old pals. Bill, Lou, we are standing in the heart of the United States government's intelligence community here in New Orleans. That's the FBI there, all right? That's the CIA. That's the Secret Service. That's the O&I. Now, doesn't this seem to you a rather strange place for a communist to spend his spare time? What you driving at, boss? We're going back into the case, Lou. Murder of the president. Good Lord, wake me up. I must be dreaming. Uh, and and they, they walk down and they, they show the where Lee Harvey Oswald was selling his flyers and he tells the whole story about the flyers and he talks about Bannister's office. He talks about all the salubrious characters that are there. And then they walk down into the centre of what was the the military industrial complex, basically, of the New Orleans. And, and he's like, this is where the CIA was and this is where the FBI. That scene is wild that is a wild 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 scene and every time i watch it i'm like you don't have to learn anything else about you don't have to be conspiratorially minded you don't have to you know be all the way off you know through the looking glass or all those sorts of things but that scene i'm like how a person who killed the president could be handing out flyers on the street corner in new orleans around the entire intelligence apparatus of new orleans is fishy something smells funny about this right yeah th- and you that- think of new orleans as like some back like i don't know I'm, i i hate to have like my blind spots revealed but like you think of it as like the big easy but you know when you go to the uh world war ii museum down there you under like and you realize that the entire navy was during world war ii was New Orleans as a Gulf city during World War II was like a huge manufacturing point for uh, most of the Navy that went across seas. So like all that stuff, the ONI, the CIA, the FBI, all being there is, is, you know, it, I understand it better now as an older, sure. older person. All of these things I think hit as we get older. Um, and you kind of understand, I, I mean, in, in rewatching this, um, and I think to, to my scene that I, I really loved is the, um, we talked about earlier when, when everybody's watching for the first time, the news of Kennedy being assassinated. Has a TV set. Apparently three bullets were found. Governor Connolly also appeared to have been hit. The president was rushed by secret service to Parkland Memorial hospital, four miles from Dealey Plaza. We are told a bullet entered the base of the throat and came out of the backside, but there is no confirmation. Blood transfusions are being given. A priest has administered the last rites. Getting arrested in May today. There's still a chance, Dan. Come on, Jack, pull through. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson has left the hospital. Presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become the 36th President of the United States. 
you know, and and that he does a great job of recreating what national mourning feels like. When 9-11 yeah. happened, it, it he recreated that feeling. And and that's hard to do. And now on 9-11, you didn't have you know, people day one going, oh, it's an inside job and all this stuff. But when it comes to a president, what is really reminiscent of what they were talking about in the bar and having people saying he deserved to die is like, nowadays it's like where america's been through politics wise people are like that all the time you know yes. and so and it's and and what it shows is even in the 90s there were people awake to the fact that this two-sidedness always existed yes it was it was just hidden for a long time and with uh all the shit we've gone through everything's at the surface now and it, we're better for it quite frankly uh it's all at the surface but um you know, this movie is just so powerful, but yeah, just to go on to scenes, I, I love that scene. And, and uh, <laughs> he's just, it, the shock everyone has is, just, you know, you're in, it's, it's a beautiful scene. Rob, please. We've talked about the, uh, the intelligence apparatus scene. We talked about the, that other scene. Let's, uh, let's, let's get the Rob Belushi, one of the, one of your favorite scenes in the film. <laughs> I mean, look, I think, the scene is the Sutherland scene where he's talking yeah. about the directives well, yeah. of Mr. X, you know, it's a Mr. movie. X. It's a, it's too much it's, scene. It's the whole scene. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> how long is that Alan scene? Dulles, Billis, yeah. uh, Bissell. 19, I think it's like 19 minutes. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. between 15 and 19 minutes of yeah. just covert action against North Vietnam, which provoked the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Just get me elected. I'll give you a damn war. In that document, lay the Vietnam War. I don't, I can't. I can't believe it. they killed him because he wanted to change things. In our time. Well, they've been doing it in all our country. History. Kings are killed, Mr. Garrison. Politics is power. Nothing more. Oh, don't take my word for it. Don't believe me. Do your own work, your own thinking. Size of this is beyond me. Testify. Me? Testify. <laughs> no chance in hell. No, I'd be arrested and gagged, maybe sent to an institution, maybe worse, you too. I can give you the background. You have to find the foreground, the little things. Keep digging. Remember, you're the only person to bring a trial in the murder of John Kennedy. That's important. It's historic. I haven't yet. I don't have much of a case. You don't have a choice anymore. You become a significant threat to the national security structure. They would have killed you already, but you got a lot of light on you. Instead, they're trying to destroy your credibility. They already have in many circles in this town. Be honest. Your only chance is to come up with a case. Something, anything. Make arrests, stir the shitstorm. Hope to reach a point, a critical mass that'll start a chain reaction of people coming forward. Then the government will crack. Remember, fundamentally, people are suckers for the truth. And the truth is on your side, Bubba. Ending the war and, and reorganizing the intelligence community as the motivation for this murder is like that's the scene but my favorite scenes and we've discussed this a little bit already are watching these characters be questioned 
by Garrison, who's like this, you know, very like, you know, square ass motherfucker. <laughs> and like the the really faulty mask that David Ferry puts on is, you know, which we talked about the goose hunting scene. And then the other scene is when he first questions Clay Clay Shaw slash Bertrand on Easter Sunday and like the genteelness of Tommy Lee Jones talking about, you know, that's the very point of having a very long Chippendale table, you know, the <laughs> extravagance of the meal adds to the sophistication or whatever he says. And like the snedly, like, you know, all this stuff. Frankie talking about his, you know, racist shit. Um, but like watching the masks people wear either yeah. really poorly or really well. And then knowing how they all fall away, you know, the little smirks and laughs of David Ferry getting caught in a lie, uh, which develops into the, the absolute manic, insane fear of him in that hotel room before, you know, he's bald and dead. And and I just want to say, like, you know, I had reading Libra, that Don DeLillo book is like a great companion piece to this. It's like a whole mm. fun, you know, dance with jack ruby and all that i I also love that when it shows jack ruby walking through his uh his cabaret you know he's holding that big standard dachshund which is true he had like he had like nine wiener dogs and i have two wiener dogs and Uh i'm also short um and i also am a, a mob you know a mob connected strip club owner. So there's just like Jack Ruby and I have a lot in common. Uh, that's you know, another, that's Brian another one. Brian the... Murray was in second city. I was in second city. You know, there's, it's just, I, I killed Lee Harvey Oswald <laughs> and I'm living scot-free. That's all I'm saying. I, I think that's an, Jack Ruby's another one for your show reel. Um, but I was just going to say that um, I, I love what you said. Like it's the masks that people wear. well, or badly, and I think what's good is that this movie is 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 you know it's literally defrocking everyone. It's like showing their yeah. mask of cordiality, how they are, and then trying to get to whether it's projections of rumors or stories or salacious things or whatever. It's it's like sort of tries to tap into every character, and I just love how badly David Ferry wears his wigs from scene yeah. to scene. Like it's t- it's kissing his eyebrows in one scene, then it's really far back in the next scene, then it's forward again in the next scene. It's like whoever the wig continuity person said, well, no, we're just going to throw it out the window and he's going to wear this wig awfully and, 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 and just going all over his head at different, just sort of um, show his emotional state. It's <laughs> so good. There's a great David Ferry too in The Irishman. He makes a pop-up. Yes. Uh, you know, he's checking in the trucks. He takes yeah. the truck with yeah. the helicopter <laughs> oh, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah. the painted on eyebrows. Yeah. That's right. Bay of Pigs. Oh, yeah. oh there's, man. There's some good... There's some good... Um, we'll, when we get to that category later on, we'll talk about... Um, we'll that, definitely talk that, about some pairings. You know, JFK and the Irishman, definitely one. Oh. Like you said, um, our friend Jordan Harper raves about the JFK American tabloid... Um, oh. pairing so Elroy. it's amazing yeah just going if you, uh, you i heard both of those i heard i heard you do that podcast yeah the american tabloid is a real uh that it it's a it's too much novel i mean <laughs> yeah. And what a yeah. what a great series that would make for tv and also like uh, i know jordan wanted to 
do that. But like, what a great companion piece it is. I mean, talk about disgusting and mean and you know, no holds barred look at the American underground. There's way more mafia in it, and it, it's just oof. It's a good. It's a good. Well, there's a lot of other I, great scenes. There's so I many mean, other great scenes. I, I Willie O'Keefe. Willie O'Keefe. You're not a bad looking man, Mr. Garrison. <laughs> yeah, when yeah. I get back to town, I will show you a good time. <laughs> yeah. All I got his 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 walk over in the in the cat like the the cafeteria towards James Garrison. Hey Willie, you know, got a visitor. And, and he walks and over he just like, struts like, over. He's in jail, not a care in the world. Yeah. <laughs> his shirt's open. He's strutting like he's on a Milan catwalk. It's fantastic. So handsome. Oh. Yeah, so handsome. That scene where she arrives to the table with Garrison's team, yeah, yes. asking about the witnesses is another one of those like it spells it out. Of, ten out of ten editing scenes, like this witness dead, this one car accident, this dead, also, this dead, and you're like, holy shit, what happened to all these people? This is like ten murders, ten witnesses are murdered. It's like if this was a this isn't collateral, you know, like you know this is. Someone needs to piece together that all of these people who had an important thing to say that maybe was contra to the Warren Commission statements about what happened that day. It's it's like full on. It's in that scene, just to think that it all went down in this like steakhouse in New Orleans, the maitre d' with the crazy mustache sitting him mm. down. The most, like, but the then- He's he's I think his antennas can pick up cable television. Yeah. Those yeah. that's <laughs> what broadcasts the movie out to <laughs> theaters. That scene is so I had that scene written down. It, it is a perfect 10 out of 10 scene of like just setting up beats. Uh Laurie Metcalf's amazing in that scene. Wayne Knight isn't Wayne Knight in that scene? Yeah, yeah why he, not? He, he, yeah. Um it, it it's uh it's just it it lays it all out for you and I, I just I thoroughly enjoyed it because then yeah you're getting all excited you're seeing all these people are dead things aren't adding up you know what is really going on here and it it's just such a oh god it's so good oh and sorry last thing too they're all like drunk you know like just think about it everyone's <laughs> like just like drinking like highballs and like you know <laughs> martinis and like discussing killed the president like just to think that's like kind of got their wheels turning is like so funny to me but anyways that's just a sidebar well, literally and I love. I love those scenes um, where they're all together because Michael Rooker's character is such an important role for the audience, right? And it's like... Bill Bruce Man, man, I can't remember what I did last night. How can I remember from three years ago? Well, and it's, it's like Stone, you know, it's for any member of the audience who is like, uh, you know, just your 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 basic like this is too much this is crazy the questions we're asking and the things we're saying he I mean, he even says like i have faith in our institutions and the way you know they artfully dismiss him as a naive or unwilling to look at the truth you know because Wayne Knight he he plays the investigator right yeah yeah New, he comes back. His name is actually the character's name is Numa Bertel. And he then mm-hmm. goes on to Seinfeld where they do the JFK episode as yes. Newman with the spit. And so he gets oh, to oh. do both versions of that. Yes. Yes. One of the no, greatest no, okay. sitcom takeoffs of all time. 
the I'm loogie. thinking of the guy. I'm sorry. I, I did you... not know Newman's name. I'm thinking of the guy who plays Tuttle in True Detective Season 1. Oh, you're thinking uh, of... Uh, oh, that's... Uh, oh, that's J.S. Um, Sanders. He plays Louis Vaughn. Yeah. Yeah. Louis yeah. yeah. So he he comes back to yes. to the uh, the trial. And so, like, he, he is resolved, but Rooker is, like, cast out. And he, the things he's saying make sense and are believable, just as an, a doubting member of the audience would be. But in the end, it's just like, hey, man, you got to come along on this ride or or you're not a part of this because this is happening so i just thought it was like an interesting way for stone to kind of like voice the concerns that this is all paranoia and reactionary and also dismiss them you know we we have mentioned mathow so it feels wrong to not mention lemon jack lemons jack martin that scene is in that first scene at the racetrack that's another 10 out of 10 for me that's oh when, when he slips up and says yeah, Clay Virgin. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also he also does an amazing acting role where he shows how nervous he is when he's smoking a cigarette and he misses his mouth and yeah. he puts it yeah. down. And it it it's it just I I love Lemon so much and that scene I, I could live in that scene just at the racetrack the coffee swirl it cuts to that little coffee swirl scene yeah. with you the, know the and, legs with the horse's legs it yes goes from the coffee to the horse legs running oh. Yeah, I, I just how nervous he is, I, and and that is one of my favorite lines of the movie is is in that scene, um. But we'll get to that. But yeah, again, like I just the setup for this and the payoff with the Mister X scene, and a fun little fact too. I'm I'm sure you guys knew this. Um, if you didn't, I'm happy to to say that the actual Jim Garrison is in the very final scene of the movie playing the uh the court judge. Yes. Um. Yeah. So the judge He's the at the judge? end of the movie. That's Jim Garrison, the real the life. The one Jim smoking. Garrison. Yes, at the end of the movie. Wow, so I, didn't, that was I a- didn't know that until like literally last night when I was finally getting my notes together of everything yeah. I want to talk about. I was like, "Oh my god, that is such a fun factoid!" All right, let's. We, I mean, we have not covered a million scenes, um, but uh, I, I, I. I I think there's no way, like, again, this is the most too much movie we've ever done. So let's um, take a quick break. We'll come back with our, our two favorite characters. Also, patently impossible. Oh, oh, this is hard. This is so hard. This is <laughs> like... This is so yeah. Hard. We just mentioned when you have a list that has Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon, John Candy, Donald Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, Joe Pesci, Tommy Lee Jones, Laurie Metcalf, Sissy Spacek, like Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. We haven't even we barely mentioned Gary Oldman. Who like this is a superstar performance from him. Like the, yeah, uh, Brian yeah. Toil Murray. Like ah, uh, I I. Oswald. Um, I, yeah, I yeah. Just, just his voice is so good, which is such a strong, <laughs> like a strong recommendation that Brian Doyle Murray could have also played the penguin. You know? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, no one touches Danny DeVito. It's the best ever, but there should, in, in some alternate universe, Brian Doyle Murray should be Oswald Cobblepot. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Uh, I, 
I find it really hard to go past, like, I find it really hard to go past um, Joe Pesci or Tommy Lee Jones in this movie or your dad, Chris. I mean, I just, I find it so hard. We've talked about those, that the triangulation of fire of those guys. I find it so hard to go past any of those guys because they're all just going for it. They are going, like, there's a couple of others, like Bacon and stuff like that. They're just, there's no... There's no hesitation. They're going 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100. Like, they are just so good, each of them. And just birching the way he's like, oh, 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 the flighty way he talks. I just, oh, my God. Be still, my beating heart. I hope you like squab. (laughs) Oh, no, he says, be still, my heart. I hope you like squab. (laughs) Kevin Bacon walks in. It's so insane. I have to say, yeah, like, I think there's like just we can have like a side note, like an asterisk that any character we talk about, those three are a given. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 because because I would I really we need to bring up. Obviously, we, we haven't talked about um, Gary Oldman's character, but we haven't talked at all about Kevin Costner. No. And Kevin Costner must have felt like he ran an ultra marathon after finishing this movie because he was acting with so many incredible actors he does incredible in every scene you know he just is the perfect kind of uh straight man for this movie quite frankly he is up against all these characters and he just maintains um you know an incredible character and he's got these moments of flourish and 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 wit in the movie when he walks by the lady who approaches him oh we sang together in church and then they start singing together he's just he's so he's he's just he's such a good driver of this this film and I, i've been I just, asleep you know, for three years I love so that good. line. It's a great line. It's a great line. Yeah, I just, you know, I think he does an incredible job and, and he's absolutely worth noting because, again, yeah, all of these other people come in and it's, you could just say also it's a movie of scene stealers, yeah. but everyone is stealing the scene every time you're watching it. Yeah. You know, it's just every, you're focused. I'm watching John Candy now. I'm watching Tommy Lee Jones now. Pesci, the Pesci rant scene. I mean, how can you not, you know when he's which one? about killing which one? which one there's like three or four in this movie where he's going off and you're like i can't you, you feel like you're watching tennis on tv you're like i can't take my goddamn eyes off the ball and he's the I, ball like he's yeah. i just no the the the, the 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 one is when he's like searching that hotel room while he's telling this story like looking behind <laughs> yeah. picture frames and shit <laughs> Uh, a pot of black coffee, uh, just black, uh, you know, and he's drinking it and he spills it out of himself. <laughs> he's like smoking and drinking it at the same time. You ain't, you ain't bugged, are you? You ain't some bitch, Lou. Are you? Dave, I always play square, no bugs. I, I love to have you go on the record, but I'm, I'm in no hurry. Whenever you're ready. I ain't slept since that shit article come out. Why'd you guys have to go and get me involved with this? Did we get you involved or did Clay Shaw, Dave? Cocksucking faggot. He got me by the balls. What do you mean? No, photographs, compromising stuff. He used them too. The agency place for keeps. I knew Oswald. He was in my civil air patrol unit. I taught him everything. He's a wannabe, you know? Nobody really liked him because they thought it was a snitch. But I treated him good. He talked about his kid, you know, really wanted her to grow up with a chance, but. What's this? What's going on here? 
Ain't nobody coming in here. Just one side. I got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Black, black, just give it to me. Black. Shit, my neck is killing me. I got cancer. I've had it for years. I've been working with my, you know, trying to find a cure. Did you ever work for the CIA? You make it sound like some remote fucking experience in ancient history. Man, you don't leave the agency. Once you're in, you they got you for life. Shaw? Shaw? Shaw's an untouchable, highest clearance. Shaw, Oswald, the Cubans, all agency. What about Ruby? <coughs> Jack. Jack was a pimp. He was a bag man for the Dallas mob. He used to run guns to Castro when he was still on our side. Mm. We almost had Castro with us, then we tried to whack him. Everybody's flipping sides all the time. It's funny games, man, funny games. What about the mob, Dave? How do they fit in this? It's the agency, too, man. CIA and the mafia working together, trying to whack out the beer, mutual interest. They've been doing it for years. There's more to this thing you could dream. Well, check out something called uh, Mongoose, Operation Mongoose. But I also love that he's, he's like, if this is a conspiracy, and it really happened, and all this stuff, like, David Ferry, it, the, the, they're having like this ultra white right wing quasi homosexual underworld happening with all these right wing Cubans in a party in an apartment where it, it's just like these worlds coming together. And David Ferry's just screaming about triangulation and murdering JFK. Like, how did this not triangulation? <laughs> yeah. It's a turkey shoot. It's just pre-internet. This movie's, you know, it's like this was yeah, a time right. when you could have yeah. you could have those parties, and and curiosity would be from the person who lived down the hall of the party and was going, yeah, there was some screaming. One another great scene is this: the one actress who was in uh, Texas, and she said, I, "I saw a man with a gun, and I just thought to myself, the Secret Service isn't really isn't good at Bro, being." Oh yeah, she was great. <laughs> you know, and then there's that that's like that line. That quick Ellen Barkin too, right? Yeah, isn't that Barkin who who gets killed? Yes, yes, she uh, who gets at the side of the road right at the beginning. Yeah, of the movie. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Secret and, Service isn't good at being secret. secret. Yeah, and just D'Onofrio, yeah. D'Onofrio, like oh, just yeah. family like man, family man, just guest spot right there at the top, and you're like, oh my god, that's Vince D'Onofrio. Yeah, there he, there he is. Like it's. Those little bits and pieces are so sensational. But yeah, Costner has like the heavy lifting to do so much of this, the heavy lifting, heavy lifting, heavy lifting. And, and, but I, I like when he gets, um, I, I like, I, I like way more the questions that he's asking. And I think this is probably reflective of Garrison and maybe Stone when he's like being inquisitive and asking, like he said, like he's like challenging people to yeah. their bullshit, like letting people hang themselves. Like I, I don't believe your story, David. Like he just, I love all of that. The, 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 the heaviest stuff later on is like when, when he finally punctuates that courtroom scene with like looking straight down the barrel of the camera, you're just like, Oh, Oliver Stone, you've like given this guy a tough, I mean, that's the most 90s choice. And it's so minute. much, it is a lot of glasses work. Yeah. In that <laughs> final, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'll, it's kind of a thankless role because you know he's, he's that's what I'm sweating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like he's got he he's the the backbone of the whole film, and his arc is like uh, this privileged kind of you know uh, p patriot who believes in the the mythos and the narrative of America and how that 
is ripped away from him and what it does. And like, he's not there for his family and his wife is going to leave him, you know, and, and it is a betrayal, but you just, he, he's a fucking cop. I mean, he's a <laughs> DA. Yeah. There's no way he's going to get to the top of the favorites list when you got, you know, Clay Bertrand and David Ferry running around <laughs> or, or Dino, yeah. you know, who is yeah. so clearly cra- like, you're just as crazy as your mama. Just yeah. crazy old mama. <laughs> they all stand on top of Jim Garrison and they say cock a doodle do. Oh you guys sir. are you guys are pick up my lines off left <laughs> and right. We are triangulating fire on Chris's favorite lines. Okay. Um let's 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 roll. We're not gonna break. We're gonna go straight in. I mean, there's so many great characters, so many great quotes. Um I've I've already dropped um my one of my favorites which is david i find your story simply not believable really what part and there's one line there are so many other clangers but i just love this so much from the x scene with donald sutherland he goes fundamentally people are suckers for the truth and the truth is on your side bubba i fucking yeah love that line and the truth is on your side bubba i love it love it love it love it it's my maybe which is the scariest line to hear now yeah, because it's not fucking true anymore you know like yeah i don't think i don't know the people they're not suckers for the truth anymore people just and, and like and not to turn it into oliver stone here but like they just uh, you're only allowed to turn into oliver stone validated you're, you're only allowed to turn into oliver stone if you can somehow conjure up a stone impression yeah, that's that. That's the. Uh... Oh God! <laughs> Look, I got sober 15 years ago. I don't think I could do all this stuff anymore. <laughs> but I could do Sean Stone in uh, JFK. <laughs> Are you going away, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> um. No, yeah. I mean, that and the the, the the obviously the the information Donald Sutherland gives, but his uh the way he affects it or offers it up like this unaffected in you know incredulity as if like all of this stuff is a given even though he's pointing it all out as um ex- extraordinary it is really scary and was like a very cool choice yeah. like the smile he has throughout it all really kind of chilled me this time yeah and people yeah. you're right people are not suckers for the truth people are not suckers for yeah the truth. Yeah, I yeah. think that that in in I think the shift in this from like when we could spend a whole other podcast talking about how there are similarities to this movie now and how it's been flipped, but I think the it is a pre-internet movie. I think the internet has confused a lot of people to what the truth is. There's so much more misinformation going on out there in the world, and and I think it was a little easier to pick through what was bullshit and what wasn't back then, um, and so you know it's it's just unfortunate that these are the times because even that opening line that they have the quote um speaks about you know seeking the truth i mean so many people are seeking the truth but they're the truth is that they're seeking no they're doing their own research Uh, yeah i think i i think actually if anything americans now are are addicted to lying they just love lies And whatever the lie is, it's actually an interesting flip. Americans are just addicted to lies, and they love getting caught in a lie. Is... They love getting caught in a lie and almost not backing down. Like I, like yeah. Well, it's so it's so scary because you know when when Garrison in the courtroom says, "Let's call it what it is," 
fascism and he's talking about the government and and it's now with the rise of fascism so obvious you know it's like it from a grassroots level as opposed to a top-down level like it's it, it just was a very scary movie to watch right now and then like while i'm watching it i get like a washington post <laughs> update on my phone banner that says like biden being sued over 150,000 jfk documents i'm like oliver stone is everywhere <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's also the thing of like donald trump ran on part of his platform i know this is so insane to say but part of his platform was like i'm gonna get those documents that people have never seen about jfk and there were all of his like extremist conspiracy theorist minded folk that were the backed him were like yes and then he gets in he's like i'm i can't release it well he and got in and he just said interesting he said yeah. i read them and he said interesting and <laughs> but again but again that's why americans elected that guy because he's a liar you know yeah. he was and they loved the lies that he promoted there was no fact behind that you know and and it's like listen man do i have to spell out do i have to spell it out for you all right yeah <laughs> spell it out for you <sighs> that i not to fully go into the politics world of it but we how can't you with jfk it's a but, very political film yeah yeah, it's, it is interesting in watching it to see where we're at and where that movie was coming from. And um, that's why I did make the observation in the beginning. It, it it makes you feel like, you know, I'm sure the same synapses are firing off in a QAnon brain. <laughs> it gives you that, I you know, takes you out of your day, wherever your day is, and you go on this, this you know, hunt looking for something. And that's all that bullshit was for yeah, and, them. And Anywho. It's, it still happens. I'm going to... I'm gonna keep happens you then go and buy books like mary's mosaic about the cia conspiracy to murder jfk and it's like these are like well, thoroughly they're thoroughly researched and documented books about like cia conspiracies and you know affairs and it's it's crazy you're still fascinated with it one of the things i think is actually the real reason that he died was none of this stuff was that it was a an accident from this um, secret service. That's like one of the more recent theories that came up in that a secret service person fell and then it hit him. I don't know if you guys had heard that one, but uh, it was a little bit more internal, which led to maybe all these other things. Who knows? I'm not promoting that. Which brings that us as... to, I mean, which brings us to in the line of fire with Frank Horrigan. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what it sounds like when a joke doesn't work, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what it that's what it sounds like when Rob is trying to pitch the next too much movie is in the line of fire. <laughs> All right, well, they let's... sent my brother in arms to kill me. Look, um, I want to say that conspiracy it could be it, but then I also want to get in my next favorite line of the government is going to dance all over your head and go <laughs> cock a doodle doo. That's right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's cute, all right, but not half as cute as you, Dino. Thank you. You should try a legitimate line of business. Why are you dancing on my head for, my man? We've been thick of molasses pie since Just law school. me, Dean. I read your testimony, the Warren Commission. There you go again, grain of salt. You tell them the day after the assassination, you're called on the phone by this Clay Bertrand and asked to fly to Dallas and be Lee Oswald's lawyer. Right. That's pretty important, Dean. 
You also told the FBI that when you met him, he's six foot two. Then you tell the commission he's five foot eight. Now, how the hell does a man shrink like that, Dean? They put the heat on my man, just like you doing. I gave him anything that popped in my cabeza. Truth is, I never met the dude. Oh, wonderful. One likes friends that have friends. Indeed. I don't know what the cat looks like, and furthermore, I don't know where he's at. All I know is sometimes he sends me some cases. So one day he's on the phone talking to me about going to Dallas repping Oswald. You ever speak to Oswald in Dallas? Hell no. Like I told that Bertrand cat right off. Cash you piece? This ain't my scene, man. I deal in Municourt. I'm a hacker nigga. Now they held your name get the Warren Commission, Dean. Like I told to the Washington boys. Boytron called that summer and asked me to help the kid upgrade his marine discharge. Well, uh, I was uh, led to believe that uh, Mr. Uh, Bertram said that he would take care of oh, any... Oh, that's uh, fine. Hello. To whom am I speaking? I'm Clay Bertram. Whatever they owe, I'll guarantee. There wasn't no conspiracy, Jim. If there were, why the hell didn't Bobby Kennedy prosecute it as attorney general? He was his brother, for Christ's sake. How the fuck all those people could keep a secret like that, I don't know. It was Oswald. He was a fruit taker. We're you know, having a communication problem, Dean. I know you know who Clay Bertrand is, all right? Now stop eating that damn crab meat a minute and listen. I'm aware of our friendship. But I want you to know I'm gonna call you in front of the grand jury. You lie to the grand jury, you've been lying to me. I'm gonna charge you with perjury. Right now, I took nine judges on right here in New Orleans, Dino. I beat them all. So am I communicating with you? Is this off the record, Daddy O? Good. In that case, let me sum it up for you real quick. If I answer that question you keep asking, if I give you the name of the big enchilada you know, then it's Bon Voyage Dino. I mean, like, pull a minute. I mean, like a bullet in my head, you dig? You're a mouse fighting a gorilla. Kennedy's as dead as that crab meat. The government's still breathing. You want to line up with a dead Keep man? My lips, Dino. Either you dance into the grand jury with the real identity of Claire Bertrand, or your fat behind's going to the slammer. Now, you dig me? You're as crazy as your mama. Goes to show it's in the jeans. You have any idea what you're getting yourself into, Daddy-o? The government's going to jump all over your head, Jimbo, and go cock-a-doodle-doo. Good day to you, sir. One of the great... That, if there's anything that still resounds, it is that line. <laughs> it's like they're going to dance all over your head and go cock-a-doodle-doo. So I will say, yeah. As crazy as your mama. As I'm saying, like, that, cons as I'm saying that conspiracy theory, I'm I'm lifting my, my fake cigarette up to my mouth and missing <laughs> it like uh, Jack Lemon. Yeah, man. No, I, I love that line. I mean, that character and the delivery and that dialect is it's just like, lime salad but uh it's interesting just where like the seed of conspiracy goes and how how you know 30 40 years later where we're at with nobody trusting anything ever and like looking yeah. at the truth and calling it a lie it's just it's it's a self it's like a snake eating its tail and really kind of scary that being said i've already said my favorite line which is be still my heart do you like squab? Oh, I hope you like squab. <laughs> this is such a wonderful, <laughs> a man of true panache, wife of impeccable taste. Like Clay Burchin is just slides across the surface of things, you know? And so does Dino, by the way. He's just on the surface. Yeah. I love what about that. what about Tommy Lee Jones? You're talking about hand acting. Tommy Lee Jones does this thing where he goes, he says hi. And oh, yeah. Gives the heebie-jeebies. Oh, that is a creepy move. Um, really, <laughs> tell, 
Reach out to Too Much Movie if uh, that that waving your ring finger at someone across a bar has ever worked for you. Um, you absolutely oh, <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> I'd go if someone did that at a bar, I'd be like, "Oh, they're talking to me," <laughs> and I'd like scamper my my little wiener dog legs over there and be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. All right, fine. Let's get onto the last category, which is let's go to double feature. It's a long movie. I'm not going to say go into a movie marathon. What's your double feature for JFK? Oh wow! Okay, the big ones I've um, already mentioned was The Irishman. Great point. Great to maybe watch The Irishman. Another big one that I'm going to shout out, which is getting its Criterion release due very shortly, is Malcolm X. Spike Lee's Malcolm oh, yeah. X and JFK. If you really want to. Uh, take half a day from yourself uh, to, to get immersed in two visions of this part of America, this time of America, very impressionistic, massive movies. Um, Malcolm X, JFK double feature. I'm going to have that. I have mine is going to be, it's another kind of tonal one. You're down South. Uh, I say you start with JFK and then you go into adaptation. This, uh, oh, bike, ooh. you know, spend right. a little time, just go over to Florida and spend a little time down there with the the, the ghost orchid, because um, the, the I and I, that's solely based off of tonal. I feel like I'm down south, hanging out in between those states, and um, I think then and then you'll pull out of uh, adaptation and realize you're just in Hollywood where everything <laughs> is a screenplay. Yeah, get or, you back. To, uh, it'll get you back. And then go into the Big Easy with Dennis Quaid, just, just to like rinse off a little bit. I also like we we didn't mention we we did the Irishman is great, but we I feel like this movie is kind of maligned or not treated very well. But like I love the Good Shepherd. You mentioned it with Pesci I loved it. Yeah, that great Santo movie. Traficante. Yeah, just an interesting look at the intelligence and, and like interesting and chilling view of the intelligence community. Um, I, I think I want, it's as Matt, well. one of Matt Damon's best performances because De Niro, Absolutely. Directs, De Niro oh, yeah. directs and just has him like a just doing so little. You know, he's it's not he's he's it's the anti Dave Ferry or Clay Bertrand, but it just speaks yeah. volumes. It's so great. He's just invisible. I wondered if there was a way it kind of crossed my mind where you could start watching JFK, and then when you get to the Bay of Pigs stuff, you detour and start watching. Um, uh, the Irishman and then finish that to then go back. I don't know. I was like, it got me thinking of like, could you leave it? Come back. You know, Chris, this is, or at this least is a great, the- this is a topic that is in our one heat minute Patreon discord, which is like, I've heard that someone said, do you know that you could watch the beginning? You could watch the beginning of Zodiac and then cut to all of once upon a time in Hollywood and then cut back to the rest of Zodiac, like do like once upon a time in California and like do like this big, and then maybe right. cut in like the, the end of Mindhunter with, uh, with that great scene um, with um, uh, Charles Manson in the interrogation. It's like, and the fan cuts that you can do are out there. And I'm like, that's one that I've thought of, but like the Irishman blended with JFK, I think is a banger. That's an absolute banger. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, if you I, need, if you need a seven-hour movie in your life, yeah. you know, like if you if you need seven hours of being completely off the wall, if you're by yourself and it's like Sunday at eleven a.m. and you have no idea what to do, <laughs> yes, I remember I I was shooting a pilot in in Chicago and uh, I, I was like not you know I was just, you know 
I don't know, eighth on the call list. So I was in my trailer just a ton. And this was when like the iPad first came out. I borrowed my cousin's iPad and I watched all of JFK in my iPad on, on this iPad. And it was like the best experience of my life. And I hadn't watched JFK since then until this week. And it was just like, this movie is so, inc whatever it says, it's so incredibly rich and watch watchable yes. and such a fun, well-architected, -arch beautiful ride that, you know, leaves you different at the end than where it found you. And like, for that, like, whether you believe it, whether you don't, whether you think, you know, Oliver Stone is like a leftist reactionary or like a actually a really, you know, right wing dude, um, you know, the film, it, it, it works. And it, how ambitious to take on all of that information and put it into a story, you know, like, wow. There's a, we might finish with this great quote before we wrap up. It's from Roger Ebert's review of JFK, which he gave four stars. It's the last paragraph. He says, the assassination of John F. Kennedy will obsess history as it has obsessed those whose lives were directly touched. The facts such as they are, will continue to be elusive and debatable. Any factual film would be quickly dated, but JFK will stand indefinitely as a record of how we felt, how the American people suspect there was more to it than was ever revealed, how we suspect Oswald did not act entirely alone, that there was some kind of con uh, conspiracy. JFK is a brilliant reflection of our unease and paranoia, our restless dissatisfaction. On that level, it's completely factual. That's that's I love that. That's true. That's it. That's that's, that's like it. when that's, I, that's our whole podcast. That's the show. Like that's <laughs> that's this. It's like how people feel because the facts, the, the actual facts of it, the point in time understanding of whatever it is, it's actually the inquisition. It's the certainty of the uncertainty of it. And and that's why it feels so true. It's like it doesn't matter where the conclusion lands. I think every time that I watch it, that's all the testament movies, all the new, too much movie movies. Um you watch them every time you bring something to it you bring your own insights you bring your own perspectives that you change every time they change for you every time you watch them but every time i watch it i'm like this is the most truthful about the inquisition of that like restless yeah. dissatisfaction that's the most truthful movie about it and that's why i think people can go back to it a million times oh wow. and and if there's one absolute kernel of truth in the whole thing other than kennedy was killed it's when Garrison says to the jury, your government is withholding information from you because they think you are children who need to be shielded or something of that nature. And that is absolute, like, yeah, that's for sure. There's <laughs> shit people know that they aren't telling us. <laughs> uh, well, until next time, man, I'll be down at Napoleon's because they got a TV down there. So. <laughs> okay. Oh, excellent. Make sure you get me a martini and Rob, can you bring the mustache wax? Um, guys, I'm coming from Galatoire's, <laughs> guys, thanks so much for listening to Too Much Movie. We'll be back soon to talk another one, I, another another movie that I'm sure is not as big as JFK. Um, we could probably do seven episodes on this bad boy. But Chris, thank you so much for br bringing this to the table for us and sharing everything. It was beautiful and um, yeah, really special for us to talk to you about it. And yeah, this has been a blast as always. Oh, thanks. This yeah. is the best. Thanks, guys. Much love, Chris.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.